I'm Deb Kuykendall. And I'm Jacob Kuykendall. I'm Karen Hernandez. And this is The Decades Podcast, a podcast where we watch two movies, one from a previous decade and one from the 2010s. And this season we are covering horror movies. I hope you enjoy the show. Heck yeah, you'll enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Deb Kuykendall. I'm Jacob Kuykendall. Karen Hernandez. And we have a special guest. Hi, I'm Michael Fromm. Yay! <laughs> Where are you from, Michael Fromm? <laughs> right around the corner. <laughs> Woo! Uh, so this is um, our first special episode. Yay! <clears throat> we watch four movies. Uh, the subject of this episode is... Was, well... <laughs> was. Was supposed to be people of color. Um, and... The reason that why I say it was supposed to be is that I looked super hard for horror movies starring people of color, and I was able to find some, but it's, it is solely African-American actors. There are no Asian horror movies that I could find. American-made. You yeah. know, our podcast, we specifically choose American-made movies for the most part. Um, I couldn't find any Native Americans. I couldn't find any Asian-American actors. Yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, and, you know, we the reason we focus on American-made movies was to do a comparison between, like, this is what things have happened culturally that changed through the decades. Right. So, you know, as it turns out, there aren't a lot of options. So we did watch four movies. Um, and the other part of it was we couldn't go back too far in history because African-Americans didn't star in movies uh, for quite a long time. And the first movie that we have is actually the first horror movie that stars an African-American actor in a non-ethnic role. He's yeah. the hero of the movie. He's also the only black person in the movie. And right. that is um, Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. The next movie chronologically that we watched is called Sugar Hill. It's a black exploitation film from the 70s starring a woman. That's pretty exciting. That's pretty big deal. <laughs> the third movie is Candyman. Starring Tony Todd. Tony Todd, right. And we have seen Tony Todd before in this podcast, actually. Mm. From when? Uh, he was in our second episode in the 2015 Frankenstein. He played the black homeless oh, uh, black man. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Welcome back, Tony Todd. <laughs> yeah, he was great. And the fourth movie we watched was Get Out. Yeah. And I think before we get into our discussion, I just wanted to say that neither of us, none of, none, not, what am I trying to say? <laughs> All four of us in this room, none of us are black. Um, I'm the only person of color on this podcast and on this in this room. And um, I just would like for all of us to, I would like to say to our listeners, we're trying to be like, you know, culturally sensitive and we're trying to be like, you know, talking about this, hopefully with a social justice lens um, mm -hmm. and just being, being really um, aware that none of us are black and we're talking about these movies with black people in them and we should be really respectful and if any of our audience members notices that we say anything wrong, feel free to tweet at us, um, write on our, write, email us, um, write a comment on our blog post so that if we did anything wrong or said anything wrong, then we can fix it and be really cool moving forward. Yeah, there, you can contact us so we can learn from it. I think uh, we may not have mentioned the, the WordPress. So we have a, mm -hmm. if you go to the Decades Podcast WordPress, you can have, you'll have access to all the podcasts. Uh, blogs about the recipes, the drinks recipes, and also links to our like our Facebook and our Twitter account. 
Yes. And we have an email account. I believe it's decadespodcast at gmail.com. That is correct. Okay. So yeah, get in touch with us if we say anything wrong. And if get in touch with us if we say anything right. So yeah, please. Please do. <laughs> so with that in mind, I think we're going to try and synopsize all four movies in a more in an efficient manner. Uh, we're going to go chronologically. So I'm going to cover Night of the Living Dead. And I am already blanking on what year this movie came out. 1968, I believe. 1968, and I cannot remember the name of the actor. It was... Dwayne Jones. Dwayne Jones. So, this is the first in the George A. Romero... It's George A. Romero, right? Yes. I'm looking for you guys. <laughs> yep. Okay, there's another director named George Romero. Who's... His, maybe his son? He has a son named George Romero the, Jr. The director of Fury Road is George Romero, uh. I believe. Um, I think so. Oh, yeah? I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure. If I'm wrong, please email my mom. Oh, wait. The Mad Max <laughs> movies? Yes. That, I believe, is also a Romero. I don't know if they're related. Anyways, this is the first zombie movie in the Living Dead series. It kind of lays out the groundwork for all zombie movies from this point forward. Uh, it establishes some of the rules. That... With the exception of Sugar Hill. Yes, the exception of Sugar Hill. <laughs> well, that was more of a contemporary, but... Um, it opens with a woman whose character name I cannot remember. <laughs> Barbara. Uh, Barbara. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's driving with her, who I personally thought was her husband, it but is actually brother. a brother. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to, um, I think, lay flowers on their father's, father's grave. grave. Uh, her brother is a giant whiny baby. Yeah, he's the crankiest man of all time. And doesn't want to go, and he doesn't want to do it. It's, and it's a six-hour drive, Jacob. Yeah. Once a year to honor your father? I don't Yuck. Know. He's the first to die, too. He deserves he's a it. jerk. Sorry, I'm being too loud. Uh, so they <laughs> go to the graveyard. There is, like in any zombie movie, but this set the standard, there's spooky stuff on the radio that they don't listen to. Um, so they travel to the graveyard. They lay some flowers. Her brother teases her about how they're coming to get her. Uh, they see a man kind of shuffling towards them through the graveyard. And uh, he lunges at Barbara. Her brother wrestles the guy, uh, gets beaten up, it seems. Barbara runs for it. She jumps in her car. She crashes their car. She runs away. Because she doesn't have the keys. That's important. Oh, is that she, why she... Yeah, she just lets the brake off. No, oh, she and goes rolling down the hill. Mm-hmm. She rolls away. Oh, yeah, I guess that comes up later. Um, she goes in and takes shelter in a house, uh, like a farmhouse. And shortly after she gets there, um, our main, our hero arrives. Uh, What's his name? There's a quiz, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, I have, I don't know why I'm blanking on every character's name just across the board. Um, he is a black man played by Dwayne Jones. Dwayne Jones. Um, this is his first movie, by the way. Ben. Uh, ben. The way, <laughs> ben arrives. Uh, he quickly runs into the house. He's being chased by zombies. Uh, he doesn't know what they are. They don't know what they are. But he's being chased by people. Um, he quickly barricades the house, and he's trying to get Barbara's help, but she is too scared to really be of any use. She's basically catatonic for most of the movie. He tells her to go get some wood. <laughs> She gets mis- distracted by a music box, then picks up a couple of sticks. Those sticks come <laughs> back later. They come into play. Meanwhile, he's super competent, and he's moving yes. very quickly. He's very smart and resourceful, and it's just this contrast that is... Well, unfortunately, everyone listens to him for the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah, no problem. 
Um, he tries to go upstairs, but there's a scary dead body, so they don't want to go upstairs. Um, he starts barricading the house, and he tells Barbara that he's, he's realized these things are afraid of fire. Um, eventually, they run into a, a group of people who've been living in the basement. Um, it's an older man and his older white man and his wife, and a young man and his wife, I think. Girlfriend, wife, I don't know. It's an older man, his wife, and his daughter. And his daughter, who is ill. Who is ill, and I'm doing air quotes, uh, in the basement. Well, she's been bitten, and fortunately, <laughs> since it's like the first zombie movie ever, no one really knows what that means. Yet. Yeah, nobody, nobody can tell that that's a, like a meaningful thing. Um, the man from the basement who's in charge is a total jerk and totally <laughs> useless. Uh, he says they all should go in the basement and barricade themselves because it's very safe, except that... Uh, Ben tells him, well, you know, if we go down there and they get in, we're all toast because there's only the one entrance. Uh, so they get into a big argument. They see that Ben realizes there's a truck outside and they hear a radio report. They've been listening to the radio and watching the TV. Eventually they see a report that says the army is, I think it's the army and it's the sher- local sheriffs are clearing out the zombies. Um, they explain... At some point in here, that they, they can be destroyed if you destroy their brain. If you hit them in the head, uh, and they are eating people. Um, and their report is saying you need to come to like a rescue station. There's one nearby. Well, first they say stay put, stay right where you are. The news changes, and then they say later on you've got to come to a rescue station. Right. And so they are going to. Ben wants to fuel up the truck. Uh, that's outside, but they need to find the lock to the gas station or to the the gas pump. They find a set of keys with a gas pump on it. Um, so they make a plan to run out there past all the zombies, drive the truck. He makes a up. plan with the young man from downstairs, who is like the second most competent person. <laughs> he knows in how to group. drive a truck. Right. Uh, that's his thing. Um, they try. He they reluctantly ask uh, the wiener who is in the basement to help out by basically opening and closing the door. His one and and throwing Molotov cocktails from the, the second floor. And you can predict what's going to happen there. Yes, if you've ever seen a zombie movie, it works exactly like you'd think. Yeah, everything goes <laughs> according to plan, and they all live happily ever after. Uh, the young guy gets in the truck, but. He goofs it. Eventually, the truck blows up with him and his girlfriend inside. The and then the zombies come and eat them. Yes, yeah, zombies come and eat them. The way that it was goofed was she, the girlfriend, was supposed to stay in the house. At the last minute, she didn't stay in the house, and she went out and um, she joined him in the truck. And I think that had to do with the reason why it. The truck eventually, like her sweater, her dress got caught on the seat belt, like when the. <laughs> yeah. When the truck was on fire and they both blew up. Yeah. He, he is the one, though, that pours gasoline all over the truck and sets it on fire. Right. It is, it is all that young man. They, um, <laughs> so their plan goes terribly wrong. They, ben barely makes it back in the house because the wiener in the basement really doesn't want to help and he's too scared. Uh, the, the girl, the, the daughter, becomes a zombie um, and ends up killing her parents. Uh, ben thinks, okay, well, we can, I, you know, initially has a plan of maybe getting to the car that Barbara was in, um, but they don't have the keys. Uh, I'm trying to remember when when Barbara eats it. It's during so this. All, it's all at the very end. 
all the zombies attack the house. Right. The mom is uh, trying to keep the zombies from getting in, and Barbara is helping her, and then Barbara gets pulled oh, out by the zombies. Right. She's, by her brother. Yeah, she sees her brother. Oh, that's right. Her brother shows up. Um, which you knew was going to happen. <laughs> right. Um, ben, I think, ultimately ends up down in the basement for a while. He sees right. He locks in. himself. He's the only one left, and he locks himself in the basement. Uh, you see as a viewer, from not from Ben's point of view, that the sheriff and his roving gang of, of uh, white soldiers are shooting all the zombies and marching through the countryside. Uh, ben hears them coming. He unbarricades himself from the basement and runs to the window with a rifle. And the sheriff sees him and shoots him uh, through the window. The sheriff thinks he might be a zombie. But so at that point, he's the only person that survives this whole crazy thing ordeal and yet the sheriff thinks oh he's probably a zombie get him right in the head yes and, and, and he, he does shot and then they over the end credits they carry him out to a big funeral pyre and they set everything on fire and burn up all the zombie bodies including ben who wasn't a zombie that's right so it's a i mean it's it's a pretty simple plot it's kind of you know just to try describing the story kind of shortcuts the entertainment of the movie which is like the characters and the the stuff they do to barricade the house, like the George Romero zombie movies take a certain like... Well, what's kind of amazing about it is it. this is the first zombie movie of this type, and it has all the things. Yes. They yeah. haven't grown that much, to be honest. It right. seems like they stuck they stuck with like the zombie concepts from that that originated from this movie. And mm-hmm. I, I learned there is a character named Dwayne Jones in the uh, Walking Dead uh, comic. Oh, I didn't uh, realize that. Series. I didn't remember that when I read the comic. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this the story here could have fit into an episode of The Walking Dead and it wouldn't be surprising at all. Like, it's it's totally... Oh, yeah. It had all the characters from a Walking Dead episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, useless lady. Slightly less useless lady. One competent leader. One, competent one whiny, entitled <laughs> asshole. Yeah. Um, but that's Night of the Living Dead. Um, I think we should talk about the movies individually okay. a little bit. Oh, okay. uh, and then maybe at the end talk about all four if we can. Yes. Um, our second movie is also a zombie movie, so that's somewhere where we can make some right. comparisons. But um, one of the things I I that I felt about this movie, it also kind of brought in some nineteen fifties feel because what yeah. what caused the zombies was a satellite from Venus that had a high level of radiation. radiation. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, this was causing the dead to come back to life, unburied dead to come back to life and eat the living. Eat people. Yes. Although in later movies in this series, they abandon that concept. And they should. And they don't. <laughs> and they basically say like, well, yeah, that's what we maybe thought it was, but we didn't have, we just were guessing. Um I think the thing I, I most got from this and then later ones is just the sort of utility, uh, utilitarianism of this, where you, like, the movie spends a lot of time with the characters, like, trying to work out almost like a puzzle, like, well, how do we stay safe in this place? Should we go in the basement? And they, like, talk out why this would be a good idea or a bad idea. And that's kind of interesting. It's not a normal, like, horror movie thing for them to kind of work out what would be reasonable for them to do. It makes sense, though, because it the only location in this movie, aside from the graveyard, is, like, this house mm-hmm. that they're all in, and they're all strangers, so, like, the tension of strangers in one place trying to survive is is enough for a movie, I'd say. Yeah. Well, and uh, the Night of the Living Dead Romero, like, model is to take kind of archetypes that you would see in real life and turn them on their heads. I mean, there's a reason that 
the hero who's competent is the black man while the white middle class family leader is the one who basically kills them all yeah Mm -hmm. and the young man i mean there's there's really the three archetypes of the like black man of the white family and then the like hippie the like young generation in 1968 Mm -hmm. and the the fact that the the black man and this this young this young man who's just going on a beach vacation with his girlfriend right. are the ones who are really like uh whoa potentially uh <laughs> solving the situation they're, 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 had the had they not set the truck on fire yeah they're at least trying to be reasonable they're like open to reason the guy at least is you know mm-hmm. operating on well let's think this through um and i thought for this movie it was I, I had never seen it before watching it for this podcast, and uh, I thought, like, it it really does make sense that, like, you know, no matter what the competent black guy did to, like, try and survive and successfully survive, like, you know, the law enforcement just shut him down. Yeah. Like, it, it was, it, it's, I don't know if the movie would have been very popular if a black man survived. That's hard to tell um, from that time. Yeah, I... Well, I mean, there were other movies. There were... You know, we had, um, uh, not Harry Harry Belafonte, but um, Sidney Poitier Mm -hmm. was a very popular actor at that time. So the idea of a hero who is black was not way outside the realm of possibility. Um, I read a few things about how African-American audiences felt about him during the black exploitation era, Mm -hmm. which was kind of interesting. We'll get to that. About Sidney Poitier? Yes, because his characters in a lot of movies were very, um, they were non-aggressive, basically. They they were very um, uh, civilized. Hmm. Um, Not a lot of pushback. Um, Well, that's that's interesting, because I I didn't do a lot of research, but I was kind of poking around at IMDb before this podcast, and the original character of Ben was more like a working class... uh, common folk type and when Dwayne Jones uh, auditioned and got this part they rewrote that character to be more like middle class and um, kind of rewrote it around the actor that they had as opposed to the character that was originally there. I did read a little bit about Dwayne Jones and he was a teacher this was his first movie and then he made a few more after that and he was in a um, a black exploitation movie called Ganja and Hess, which is a vampire movie we could have watched if we were going to watch <laughs> vampire still. movies. Yeah. Um, but uh, then he went on to be a teacher. He did. He got involved in theater and mm-hmm. uh, was a, a acting coach or acting teacher. But he died relatively young. He died at fifty four. Yeah, of, um, heart tragic attack. or something. I, I just got little bits of this. Um, the other thing I thought was interesting that they talk about on imdb it must be from an interview somewhere is that during the filming Dwayne jones said that he thought his character was too aggressive and that the scene where he strikes uh barbara yeah that shocked me actually was too violent and he told george romero he thought it would be like because of the political climate that that should be toned down and george romero said no it's fine and now later in interviews it's like Actually, I really regret that he was right. I should have listened. Like, I should have listened to his perspective more because I didn't recognize kind of the difference here. Um, that 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 would have that that comes across differently. Yeah, I I, I would say that this movie does a, uh, an interesting job at representing 
people who are not uh, are uh, not white, but it does not do a very particularly good job at representing people who are women. Oh yeah, I was going to say that was on my mind as well. Yeah, the women really got a bad break in this movie. Yeah, they sure did. One of them's catatonic. One of them's the hippie girl that gets her, herself killed. Has and no character other than, but I love you. The mom yeah. was okay, actually. She was like the third most competent person yeah. Yeah. in the room. She was trying to speak some sense into her stupid husband. Yeah, that's her problem. Yeah, Stuck I really, to that guy. She was one of my more, uh, was the, one, of, one of the more entertaining characters. Right. Definitely. Speaking her mind and shutting down that guy <laughs> every chance she got. And well, I, maybe that's why he was the way that he was oh i totally think i totally think there's a level to which we can read this now as like a white man reacting to like a ever progressive loss of privilege in the scenario mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i think so yeah, yeah. i think so mm-hmm. um, just throwing a tantrum because he acknowledges to himself that like he's not the smartest or the most competent <laughs> guy in the room right you can see in his face that he knows he's not supposed to be in charge yeah, yeah. but he also thinks he should be in charge and, and and the only person who we might be able to argue is less capable of being in charge than him is the catatonic woman yeah <laughs> and even then that's like kind of a maybe 50, maybe 50. Not. yeah in a tries. pinch in a pinch i think she'd survive more than him yeah i also, I want to put a pin in a conversation for later in this episode that in this movie, in Sugar Hill, in Get Out, uh, kind of even in Candyman, the police are either incompetent or evil or evil and incompetent. And I appreciate that, honestly. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think they were supposed to be either evil or incompetent in this movie, in Night of the Living Dead. I don't know. I... Except for that, I mean, the one thing they do at the end... Where they shoot someone they don't know is a zombie. Yeah. Um, but up to that point, they're, I don't know. No, they you seem know like yokels right, when you yeah. see them earlier. Yeah, it's and, true. I had some feelings about them when they were walking around shooting things. I didn't Gotta shoot really, them in the head. Yeah. didn't really like them very much. I thought that when they were being interviewed by the, when the law enforcement were being interviewed by the news people, they just seemed, you know, so cocky, mm-hmm. like, full of bravado. Like, yeah, we know how to deal with this problem. Like, clearly you don't know everything. Like, you shot a, an alive civilian who survived this. Like, honestly. So, uh, one thing I read about George Romero's movies is that, uh, the, the, this series of movies, is that mm-hmm. they are allegories or, I don't know if that's the right word, but they are they're yeah. about something. Do you right. think this movie is about the civil rights movement? What is this movie, what is the allegory of this story i think that michael probably has it closest you know the especially knowing that the character of ben was always a black man but at one time was working class and they kind of rewrote it around it is that the most competent character is this black man who threat who who is very threatening to the white suburban guy who's living in the basement with his family and who is basically has is is a detri- is a weight on everybody else there. I think that that you know it, it, civil rights movement or not, it is about this like threatened lack of privilege that the white character, who the bad guy faces here. So that's that's and, within the bottle of the house. Yeah. But what about the zombies? I don't know. Like I don't think that that maybe the zombies are supposed to be like. The pressure, the social pressure that exists that makes people see, like, um, makes people see that we should question, you know, what it means to be 
what like we should question power dynamics and it shouldn't always be you know the the oldest white male that's in charge it's you know you should you sh- the movie might say that the zombies are just this force that makes people look at like hey maybe we should think about who's competent we should think about who's smart we should think about who's strong and who can like survive the best i don't know well, what about the the fact that the thing that caused it in this movie was the government basically well i was gonna say that maybe the zombies like specifically the zombies which i should probably mention they're never called zombies in this movie mm-hmm. that is not a concept that or like not a word that is ever used in this movie um ghouls i think is what they, they call them yeah. ghouls a lot of or weird like, adjectives they, they call monsters them, they say monsters yes then they're like uh what is it misshapen monsters yeah um I wonder if maybe the zombies are just generally meant to be like a disaster of some sort, but it's all institutional mm-hmm. problems. It's the police. It is the conflicting reports about what to do to be safe. Mm-hmm. It's the scientists are there being interviewed at what they best guess is maybe what the problem is and maybe how to solve it. But like these people are left out on their own because of a disaster kind of beyond their their realm. And it's in that uh context that suddenly the best course of action that they don't follow is to listen to and rely on the person who's most resourceful even though like cultural norms would work against them for that like they don't that there's at least one character who does not want to listen to the black man who clearly knows what to do and how to be safe because of like cultural norms when they cannot rely on institutions and there's nothing else that's really like supporting them here. I don't know if that explains the zombies and I don't want to read in like the later movies. Karen and I watched Dawn of the Dead and that's like consumerism is like a big thing. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead, the zombies are definitely uh, the, 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 the general public who wants more and more yeah goods and services okay i'm gonna say we should move on yes. yeah. <laughs> um because we can always come back to this and we yeah. probably will yeah so the second movie we watched we didn't watch them in this order but the the second movie chronologically in history is sugar hill which mm-hmm. is a black exploitation film uh starring marky bay and don't ask me to name any of the characters with the exception <laughs> of baron samdi yeah uh and sugar hill, baron sugar hill Uh, The guy who gets killed at the beginning is Langston and... The detective is Valentine. Oh, right. Valentine and then... Madam... May... Matress. Mama Mama Matress. Mama Matress. Right. I cannot remember the bad guy's name. No. Uh, Morgan. Morgan. Is that his name? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. (laughs) The main... The top... The top of the... Yeah. Okay. So... The movie starts in a... The movie starts... We're watching a voodoo ritual... Yeah. Um, they're killing a chicken and having going into uh, seizures and dancing around, and it turns out it's all just a a nightclub act. Yes, <laughs> and then they all walk away, and the white audience is clapping in the club. Um, the club is owned by Langston, and his girlfriend is Sugar Hill, and she seems really sweet at the beginning, like mm-hmm. for about five minutes. Yeah. Uh, then they, they're both black. To they're clarify. Both black, right. <laughs> to clarify. Uh, Marky Bay is an African-American actress who is the star of this movie. Yeah. Uh, which was the reason that I picked it, because it just seemed amazing to me. And she's great, actually. Um, so her boyfriend, uh, the mob or whatever, the bad guys come in and threaten him. Not the main bad guy. We don't see him at first. Yeah. Uh, they come in and threaten him, and he says, no way. They leave. 
She says, don't get hurt. He says, I can take care of myself. He goes outside and he gets uh, beaten to death yeah. by the bad guys. He can't handle himself. Right. He, he cannot handle himself. She gets mad. She goes to see Mama Maitress mm-hmm. and says, I want revenge. I want to kill them all one by one. Uh, you need to help me out. And Mama Maitress says, well, I used to be a voodoo magician, but I I can't do that anymore. I'm old now. Um and I, I pointed out at the time, the woman who played the Mama Maitress was born in 1892. Ooh. And she was the she was uh, Jefferson's mom on the Jeffersons, which she was a 19... She looks good for her age. I yeah. think she looks great. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, she goes to Mama Maitress. Mama Maitress says, I don't have any power anymore, but I can take you to see Baron Samdi. Samdi. You're saying that weird. Well, that's how they said it. They, they, they call him Baron, Sa- Baron Samdi. They don't call him Baron Samdi. They call him Baron. They call him Baron. Weird. Okay. Um, so they go out into the woods to some kind of altar. She gives out. She gives Mama Maitress her jewelry. Baron Samdi shows up, and he's pretty cool. He's wearing a top hat. He rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and I can't remember the name of that actor. He's um, got gold grills on top and silver on the bottom. Yes, and that is very cool. <laughs> and all, a top hat. All I can remember about him is that he today he was born in Lake Oswego, Oregon, and that's where he lives. Yay, muscle <laughs> boy. So anyway, Baron Samdi. Baron Samdi gives her access to his zombies, who are all uh, people, slaves, killed by mm-hmm. fever. Yes. They say something at the end about they're all, they all they died, died, from, and fever. Yeah. died like, from fever in the slave ships. Um, so they all rise up, and they all look pretty scary. Yeah, I think some pretty good practical effects for the era. Really? Yep. I felt bad for those actors. Jake, yeah, Jacob, Jacob pointed out that the eye effect they used was the same effect they used in... Buckaroo Banzai for the Lectroids, yeah. both the red and the black Lectroids. I that was on IMDb. I wouldn't have noticed that otherwise. <laughs> but it, but when you when you mentioned it, then it was like, oh yeah, I, yeah. Was, I thought they looked excellent. Yeah, I thought yeah. they looked excellent. Covered as well. in dust and cobwebs and their costumes, it really just I don't know looked amazing. They, they have, were pretty creepy. I was gonna say they have painted on muscles, which is a little weird, yep. but it kind of works. Too. Oh, I didn't even notice. Yeah, that. like yeah. kind of skeleton sort of yeah. paint on them too. Um, I should mention this movie. I don't know who directed this movie. Um, oh, but I don't, I don't, um, I don't. But it's kind of unimportant. The movie was made by a production company called American International Pictures, mm-hmm. which made a whole lot of. I mean, they just made cheesy movies. They made all the beach movies, like Beach Blanket Bingo. Oh. Um, and I have a lot to say about that. Um, they made, uh, I think, The House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price. They made a lot Love of Vincent it. Price Favorite movies. Movie. They made a huge number of black exploitation movies. They made a lot of them. Okay. Um, which it all had to do with uh, trends in what people wanted to see, and they would mm-hmm. just go with whatever. All right. So anyway, Baron, Baron Zombie gives her her zombies, and then she proceeds to kill each one of the people who attacked her boyfriend one at a time in a different way every time. Yes. What was the best way? I like the guy stabbing himself when the voodoo doll caught on fire. That was cool because it was complicated. Yeah, there was a voodoo right. doll in the middle of the table, and she lit something on fire. There was some kind of fuse, and when the when the fire got to the voodoo doll, he had to stab himself. And he's like, I don't, I'm not going to, I don't want to. And she's like, yes, you are. You're going to do it. (laughs) I liked that one the best too, because that guy was the most stupid. And (laughs) he thinks that he's all that. And I just, I really like when like really in movies, when maybe in real life, life. when really stupid, shitty, entitled people, um, that kind of attitude leads to their demise ultimately. Yeah. 
I really liked the the massage table. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was good. <laughs> so, one of them gets massaged to death. <laughs> but mostly because it looked very comfortable, even though he was complaining. Yeah. I was like, that would be just the right kind of scratches. Just a bad they, scratch. They were doing very gentle scratching. They were. It didn't look like they were yeah. digging into it. No, them. they waited for him to turn over to yeah. kill mm-hmm. him. And these are traditional zombies, which means they don't eat anybody. Right. They're just... Yeah, they're Haitian zombies. They're like voodoo zombies, not right. Except they're not really because yeah, voodoo zombies are actually alive. Mm-hmm. So they're yeah. more like the dead alive than the living dead. <laughs> and these people were dead. They got yes. up out of their graves to do this, to do these, to work for Sugar Hill. Um, and I didn't mention Celeste. Celeste is the girlfriend. She's kind of important. Morgan's girlfriend. Morgan's yeah. girlfriend. Celeste. Yes, I know. The movie well, thinks he, she's more he abuses her through the whole movie. And she sucks. Like she is mean and nasty to well, Sugar mean, Hill. Yeah, the, the complicate the relationship that she has with Morgan is very complicated, yeah. and I kind of want to feel sorry for her, except for that she takes out whatever feelings that she has inside from being abused by Morgan, and just like takes it out on Sugar Hill. Well, with these, I mean, like, racist tensions. And- yeah, it's beyond that. She goes over. I mean. She's 100% racist. She goes over there. She goes over to the bar and threatens her. And then they get mm-hmm. in a fight. And then she says she's going to kill her. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and then she disappears until the very end. Yes. But I thought that the end thing was a little bit. Yeah, it's all much. <laughs> she, she'd been abused by men. And then she's abused by men forever in the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's... Uh, I had some. Yeah, I had a little bit of a question mark. But let me let me get to that. Yeah, please. So um, she kills them one by one. She finally gets down to the last one. I don't know if anything... I, I think that's all that happens. There's she a just, detective, but he never solves all right, anything. Valentine, her old boyfriend, Sugar Hill's old boyfriend, is meanwhile investigating this, knows it's voodoo, goes and sees an English guy who for some reason is... A white English professor who is the voodoo expert. expert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, and he figures out, oh, voodoo has something to do with this. Um, I mean, he tracks it. He, Valentine narrows it down all the way to going to Mama Matress and being like, I want to talk to you. And then he's like, well, she didn't let me talk to her, so I guess I'm done. <laughs> uh, Investigation over. And then uh, he falls down a flight of stairs because yeah. of voodoo. He and really then he disappears die. from the movie because his leg's broken. Yeah, yeah I thought that it was going to come back in the end and there'd be some sort of wrap up about that after <sighs> everything's said and done. But I guess just breaking his leg was enough to be like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I guess I'm. I guess I won't investigate these murders. These many, many murders that have been going on. He should have died. Like I get that he is a likable character, and you don't want Sugar Hill to have done something wrong. But like she's messing with mystical powers. The movie sets it up like Baron Somdi don't kill my friend, and then he's like, ah, I'm gonna do it like monkey's paw thing. <laughs> but then he's he breaks his leg, and well, it's kind of okay. I think. It was appropriate to the plot that he didn't die because she was only seeking revenge on Morgan, the big shot of the mafia, and his henchmen that caused his husband that caused her boyfriend um, Langston to die. So yeah, she was doing an unfriended. Yeah, I just thought he <laughs> should die so to show that there are consequences of making a deal with the devil. Of yeah. which there oh, were yeah. none. Yeah, she suffered no consequences. So let me get there. Uh, <laughs> so they get to the last guy, Morgan. He comes out to her estate or whatever that building is. Yeah. He brings his girlfriend with her, him, which makes no sense because they hate each other. But yeah, well, I hope it wasn't a six-hour drive. Yeah, it was probably, <laughs> probably a lonely drive and he wanted to have her with him. So he brings her, but she doesn't want to go in the house and she like rolls up the windows and she's scared and she sits in there. That's smart. You shouldn't go in that house. He goes into the house 
and gets scared and runs out of the house? Is that what happens? Yeah. Yeah. So he just starts running through the woods. Oh, he's running away from zombies. Yeah. Zombies are chasing him. He runs and runs and runs. He gets to a point where he's surrounded. Well, he goes into the house and Sugar Hill's there with zombies and also all his dead henchmen. As zombies. Who are now zombies. Oh, I didn't notice that. How did I miss that? I don't know, because they have all the wounds from each of their individual deaths. And they were all the guys, all of their faces, but they were all, like, fucked up from being dead. Yeah. And then come bring it back to life. It's cool. I was excited about that. Huh. Yeah, it was. It was that scene where she was smiling, like, "Hey, man, you suck." And then all of the all of his previous henchmen are now her henchmen, and they're all smiling Mm -hmm. that same like sweet but also fuck you smile. That's good. That's good directing, right there. Really good. That's what I wanted to see. It made up for all the failure. Failed Luton buses or like attempted Luton. <laughs> yeah, buses. they were not good at jump scares. No, they, no. they they tried, but not one of them was scary. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Parrot sure has something to say. Really is excited. Uh, he runs into the woods. He gets on a he gets on a little rickety bridge and he falls into what we weren't sure what it was. Yeah. We thought he might be getting ready to be eaten by a crocodile, but it turns out it was like quicksand. I, yeah. I think it was just poorly rendered quicksand. Really mushy quicksand. <laughs> yeah. So he dies in the quicksand. It's like, oh, I guess it's over now. But it's, dead. but it's not because then they bring the girlfriend over. And, uh, oh, I didn't mention this at the beginning, but Sugar Hill had uh, to make this deal. She said she would give Baron Samdi her soul. Yeah. And instead, they gave him the girlfriend as one of his brides. Morgan's girlfriend. Yeah. And so, and so Sugar Hill gets off the hook, and all the bad guys are dead, and the girlfriend is carried off to be raped by Baron Sandy, I guess? Turned into one of his wives, maybe, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's yeah. a little question mark. The end! The end. Now, that was a very entertaining movie, I would say. I liked it. It was a little slow at parts. Yeah, great costumes. Yeah, the lighting was great. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there was the one scene where she is at the end of a table or something, and it's all dark around her. It was kind of film noir, actually. She's yeah. wearing... Yeah, lots of use of shadow. Yeah, and one of her outfits was the most awesome one, the one that she wore for Voodoo, which was the only outfit she wore more than once. So yeah. basically, she the would wear different suit. clothes in every scene, and her hair, when she was doing Voodoo, would be in an afro, and her hair, all the rest of the time, would be straightened and blonde. Um, but she wore all these fantastic outfits, mm-hmm. except that Voodoo one was made her look like a superhero. It was all white, and it had like a red interior and a big yeah. col- pointy collar. And in this one scene, she's sitting at the end of a table in that suit with just light kind of... It wasn't framing her. It was kind of cutting some of her off, but it was... It was awesome. It was a really good uh, shot. And I want to say that Baron Zombie, who is in some a James Bond movie, he's in Live and Let Die, and he looks very similar, so I had to look up... If, not the actor, but the not, character. Yeah, the character, and who is based on a mythological figure. Yeah, he's a real voodoo character. Person. Um, but that actor was having a great time with it, and he's super entertaining in this movie, and he's like just enjoying killing everybody and chasing people around as zombies. He plays different characters. He does. In every death. He's a taxi cab driver. He's a landscape man. Mm-hmm. A bartender. Bartender. Yeah, he's great. That yeah. guy's awesome. I would, if I could choose to be one character in this movie, it w- it's a really close tie between Sugar Hill herself and Baron Samedi. I think it'd be Mama Matress. <laughs> she's she's, she knows what she's, doing. she's wise. So yeah. I, I think I mentioned before for this movie, I was reading about black exploitation and particular mm-hmm. women in black exploitation, and I learned some stuff I did not know. Like for example, there are. Well, up to the point, 
the person who wrote the book about black exploitation really had a love for it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a Maybe woman, uh, probably middle-aged when she wrote the book, but these films were there when she was younger. I didn't watch black exploitation. The one movie I had ever seen was I'm Gonna Get You, Sucker," yeah. which is actually a comedy from the 90s, uh, but it's based on that whole uh, film genre. Yeah. And the, she went into a lot of history. So... There are certain facts that I want to bring forward. One, sure. I did not know the NAACP was established in 1909. Mm-hmm. That is a surprise to me. Uh, just because there's, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's just a concept that uh, there's a growth of, I don't know, I don't even want to go down this street. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> well, I mean. What do you want to say? Let's do it. What I'm trying to say is. I know about civil rights in the 60s. 1909 yeah. seems so far from that. Mm-hmm. That's a really long road to travel. Yeah. It, but it's clear that the, 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 uh, what's the self-aware, not self-awareness, self, knowing that the position is wrong, right? There's, yeah. you have a knowledge for 68 years that this, well, or longer, longer, that the position that you are in is based on a moral wrong, and we're still not even there. Yeah, sorry, it's 2017. We still got. Mm-hmm. Who knows so how we're many talking. Years to go. I mean, that's more than a hundred years of the NAACP. Yeah. And not, and what's wrong? So that's just one thing <laughs> for another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah. Um, so there's that, but also, um, I I read a lot about African American actors and women in particular in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and initially. Racial stereotypes were pretty prevalent. Sure. And they still are. (laughs) And even the black exploitation movement, basically it broke away from the stereotypes. In the book, she talks about four stereotypes up to that point, which are the Mammy, Aunt Jemima, um, I can't remember the woman's name, (laughs) and (laughs) um, the exotic other, which is like the Lena Horne character okay. uh the one I, oh man what's the other one the the one that i can't remember is based on a character from uh, a radio show and she's the sassy angry black okay. woman who talks back to white men gotcha. and is that's okay because for some reason and yeah. then there's the mammy who is basically mammy from gone with the wind mm-hmm. and aunt jemima who's a little more domestic a little more a little less um and we'll get to some of this and get out, I bet, too. Yeah, like I think so. The stereotypes pop up again. So there was that. But then you have, um, so at, at a certain point in history, the whites were moving into the suburbs. All movies were basically for whites up to a point. Yeah. Because they were the movie-going audience. But when they started moving out into the suburbs and they abandoned the movie houses to, who, you know, the urban audience, yeah. then movies movie produ- production companies had to start making movies for the African-American audience. They became a viable source of of money thanks capitalism thanks for making <laughs> movies for black people right so and that's part of where black exploitation came from um there were a couple of super successful movies made by i don't i don't know if they were mainstream or not one was oh one definitely wasn't it was an independent film basically do you remember what the name of these movies are yeah this one was um sweet back sweet ass song i think mm-hmm. is the name of it it's um that's van peebles melvin van peebles marvin i think right Maybe? I think it's Melvin. And then his son, Mario. Okay. His son, Mario, actually, <laughs> was, was in it as well, yeah. um, as, as him as a little boy. He starred in it, he produced it, he directed it, he, you know, he 
uh, one of the ways that they advertised it was they had an Earth, Wind, and Fire song in the movie. <laughs> and he was like the first person to release the soundtrack before the movie to uh. get buzz for the movie. So that was one. And then the other one was Shaft, yep. which everybody is pretty familiar with. Mm-hmm. And from With there, you know, so I, w- I was talking about the American uh, International Pictures uh, studio before. And when they saw that this was successful, then they said, OK, we're going to make black exploitation movies now. And they made Sugar Hill and a whole bunch of others. Yeah. My first exposure to black exploitation was watching Pootie Tang. I I was approached with my some some I don't know movie guy came to the school bus stop and was like hey do any of you middle schoolers in this you know inner city uh, Los Angeles middle school want to come watch Pootie Tang it's a free screening and it hasn't been out yet so we want your input Karen's from Hollywood yeah well my sister and I went walked over to Paramount Studios and we watched Pootie Tang and it was amazing I like Pootie Tang but I don't know if that falls in black exploitation well, or I'm what gonna, i'm gonna say it doesn't because and it may be the well, same a, it may be based on it but, yes, it but the maybe? black exploitation genre lasted like eight years it's mm. it just in the 70s and okay. as soon as it started to die out and there are probably some reasons one of them being that the naacp was not very happy, happy about, about it, it. Oh. Yeah. they didn't like the way that um black black people were portrayed and there mm. were a lot of stereotypical i mean the first one of the first people we see in that movie is basically dressed like a pimp, right? From mm-hmm. the yeah. 70s. He's. Uh. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I, first of all, heard about Pootie Tang. That is written and directed by Louis C.K. Before oh, he became the, pers- I, the famous person he is I today. I didn't know that. I had no clue. I just was like, what is this crazy movie? Let's go watch it. Uh, but that is a black exploitation. Um, is it like a spoof? Homage. Yeah, homage. And I was going to say, I don't think I've ever actually watched a black exploitation you movie. Shaft. I think I've seen Shaft, yeah. although I think I've also seen the remake of Shaft. What I was going to say is I do, I have seen Black Dynamite and Jackie <laughs> Brown, which <laughs> are both homages <laughs> well, to and black exploitation. I mean, there's a lot of them now. Undercover Brother was a big black exploitation, like mm-hmm. comedy homage from our generation. Because it, it really, like, all I know about black exploitation uh, is what's been happening in the past, like, 20 years surrounding Same. it. Yeah. Uh, and there was definitely a big resurgence of. Uh, black comedians and actors. Uh, I think that might be because they were young and saw those yeah. movies, mm-hmm. and so now that yeah. they're in the industry, that and they they loved them exactly. Um, but there was a coalition formed against them by like three different groups, including the NAACP. Yeah, they walk a very well, I don't even know if they walk a very thin line. Uh, but yeah, they're they're definitely not. <laughs> they're definitely movies made by white people to right. exploit black people. So unlike yeah. us. Sweet back, sweet ass song. I hope that's the right. That name. is right. Um, <laughs> unlike that movie, which is produced, written, directed, acted by black and actors, yeah. Um, the movie that we just saw is an American International Pictures movie made by white people. Yeah. Yes. Just made to, I mean, made to capitalize on that, right? Yeah. So that kind of. On the other hand, so actresses like Pam Greer, who's probably the most famous black exploitation mm-hmm. actress, they were they got some real hard criticism for being in those movies. At the same time, there weren't any other movies for them to be in, right? Yeah. They weren't being offered parts to star in movies other than these black exploitation films. The only thing I was going to say to that is just I love Black Dynamite. Every go, <laughs> everyone see it because it's amazing, um, and there. I think it's around the same time you do see some black actors making it into another genre of 
I like, which is kung fu movies. Right, kung fu is American very similar. They, well, and they're, they're the, the two, the yeah, two, the two intertwine. There's a reason Iron Fist and Luke Cage hang out all the time. That's right. <laughs> so hey, I, Michael's I, on a comic book podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched another movie. I did watch a black exploitation movie, one of the more famous ones, which is called Cleopatra Jones, um, which... There is a character in Austin Powers played by Beyonce mm-hmm. called Foxy Cleopatra, which yeah, is basically a mis- a mashup of Foxy Brown and Cleopatra Jones. <laughs> um, Boy, Cleopatra- what a terrible movie that Austin Powers is. Well, Cleopatra Jones wasn't a good movie, but what amazed me about it was this actress, Tamara Dobson, who mm-hmm. is the tallest actress to ever have starred in a movie. Oh, that's way. interesting. She's 62. Wow. She was a model before that. She went back to modeling because <laughs> she couldn't get any acting jobs. It didn't work. Um, but anyway, she was so strong. I mean, she was, you know, in this movie, she's some kind of special agent model or something. Um, and she has a really awesome car as well, but nobody questions her authority. Mm-hmm. And this is the seventies. This is a black woman in the seventies and everybody listens to everything that she says and does what she says and follows her lead. And it's like, why didn't I cool. see this movie when I was a girl right yeah i was gonna say how did that make you feel it made me feel sad that that didn't happen for me until i saw xena right yeah xena this angry in in charge yeah in the 90s what is wrong with movies man make some movies for girls where they can be the strong you know relate to the strong person who's in charge of things oh i second that oh i love moana oh my god (laughs) no no spoilers guys no spoilers (laughs) you gotta watch moana (laughs) i I think it's on netflix now right no you gotta rent it awesome well i can drop yeah it's the only disney princess that i like see and i'm like hey i kind of look like her and i kind of relate to a lot of what she's going through but yeah (laughs) there needs i agree with deb there needs to be more movies where like Women are in charge and inspiring other women to and, be in charge. And where that's not special, right? And where that's not special, <laughs> not yeah. Deal. Well, kind of like, I mean, like Dwayne Jones in that movie, that was special, but they they did a good job of making it not feel special. Yeah. It's the only movie, I would say it's the only movie in the group of four that we have where the fact that the character is black is not an aspect of the character. It, I mean, it's not, it's, they don't make it a direct right. statement. Yeah. Although I think part of that has to do with the time, you know, they were making a statement regardless of what they said. They by by doing, well, even but just by doing that, yeah, they're making a statement. Right. But well, it is the only movie of the four that we watched where the character isn't linked to slavery. I think that yeah, might, yeah, uh, well, all yeah of there's stuff, yeah, all well, the other three. Get out, even yeah. Get Out, I think. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. I mean there's a scene in Get Out <laughs> where they auction him off. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so there's that, and then, you know, yeah, no, it's, I mean, across the board. All right, we need to move on. Yeah, uh, I do just want to say real quick, and as too, a comic book person, uh, the the Netflix Luke Cage definitely is good because it is t- heavily taking from the exploitation aesthetic, mm-hmm. mixing it with a hip-hop aesthetic. Oh, I love really... Jadena's performance in Luke Cage. Oh, yeah. that's so good. Oh, and amazing. really owning it, and everyone should see it. It's very good. Yes. Um, one last note that I'd like to say about... Um, Sugar Hill is, or no, now I'm lost. Oh yeah, no. One last note. I guess we're. It's about um, it's about Night of the Living Dead. So that's like two movies <laughs> removed now. Maybe I shouldn't yeah. say it, but well, no, say it. go ahead. Yeah. Um, I I didn't know that they made the choice to modify the character from working class black man to mm-hmm. middle class black man, and I don't know, like, I I don't really know 
why they would do that, but um, maybe like. I, it kind of makes me feel weird because, at, you know, it are they trying to erase, like, certain parts of what it means to be black in America well, by based making on, it more relatable to, you know, working class white people? Or I don't know. Based on what Jacob said, which is that they, they, used, they modified it to the actor that they had. If mm-hmm. he was a teacher, he was middle class. Mm-hmm. He was a middle class man. I mean, I have to read into whatever IMDb said, which was basically they auditioned him george romero really liked him Mm -hmm. and they hired him so they changed the character from a sort of low talking working class guy Mm -hmm. to somebody whose uh dialogue was middle class less slang probably that's that's i have to read into whatever they said i i think when i'm gonna get into this with get out which Mm -hmm. is the movie i'm gonna synopsize but like there's just this whole theme of the palatability of people of color and yeah. black people. And it's just something that I've grown up with. And um, I'm I'm a person of color. I'm Filipino, Filipino-American. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles and everyone thinks I'm Mexican. That's true. Um, I've seen it. Yes. So uh, it's just it's just when I when I heard that that his character was modified to be more working class, I, I had some concerns that does that mean that he was modified to be more palatable for audiences i'm not sure and it's just one of the thoughts that i had when we when we were watching this movie i think that's a legitimate concern and one that doesn't ring untrue from my knowledge of the history of uh hollywood and the portrayal Mm -hmm. of black people in hollywood Mm -hmm. i mean there's a reason why cliff huxtable was cliff huxtable Mm -hmm. and not the dad from Good Times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I from and again, we're we're trying to guess based on the the thing I read. But like on the one hand, I could see this as well. They wanted to make a character that fit with the actor they chose because they liked him so much. But that makes him more palatable. On the other hand, this this is an independent movie. They didn't have uh, any sort of pressure from an institution. So the only institution to be putting pressure would be the audience. I you know and then at that point you 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 have to guess what George Romero thought about it. Let's so get him in of, the room. Yeah, Come on, George. So I, I I don't know. That's that's a yeah. really good question. It was his first movie too. Yes, I mean yes. you can't read you can't look at his work before and make any assessments right. based on that. And can we? I I forgot to mention this when we were talking about Night of the Living Dead. I'm just going to mention it now before we move on. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> um, is that even though the main character in the Night of the Living Dead is this black man? And he's the hero of the movie. The cover of the movie is a white woman. Yeah, I noticed that as well. <laughs> she doesn't do anything. Yeah, and I, I also thought, like, is this Hollywood trying to cater to yes. the audience? Uh, I think what's so. the cover you saw? The cover on the Amazon one that I was watching was uh, a zombie nose up of the little girl zombie. Uh, hmm. Yeah. No, but, the one I saw is the picture of uh, Barbara. The, Barbara. Barbara. Yeah, okay. I saw that uh, there's, one too. It's it's one of these movies that I think it's in the uh, public domain, and so you see like a million so, yeah. versions. Oh, yeah, I yeah. So. But I mean, and I yeah, I'm sure there are plenty mm-hmm. of. I've never seen that actor portrayed on a cover of that movie mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. And there's no other black actors in that movie in anywhere, including the extras, including mm-hmm. the sheriff, including gang. the zombies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the only one. It's kind of the reason why I wanted us to watch Ganja and Hess if we did a vampire group we would watch that and he's he's one of the stars but it's the other star is a 
black actress whose name I don't know right now, but it's a it's a vampire story, mm. and it's also a black exploitation movie, and it also stars J- Dwayne Jones. Um, I thought it would be really interesting to see. Yeah, I'm down. All right, let's talk that about Candyman. <laughs> yeah, let's do Candyman. All right, uh, Candyman, uh, 1992's uh, wonderful uh, ghost sexual thriller, Candyman. <laughs> yeah, it is. He's sort of a ghost. He's ghostish. Can I have some wine? Yes. Does anybody <laughs> want a beer? Uh, so Candyman uh, is the story of Helen, and, and uh, she is going after her a master's or a PhD. She's thesis. She, she's writing a her thesis PhD. on a folklore character named Candyman with her partner Bernadette. Uh, we open on uh, a, a someone she's interviewing telling a story of a young teen and her boyfriend, uh, played by my favorite cult actor, Ted Raimi. <laughs> oh, yeah. John Sir the Mighty. Speaking of Xena. Yeah. I kept yeah. singing that song. John no. Sir the Mighty. He is strong and mighty. Is that how it goes? <laughs> Something like that. Uh, I was just thinking of, he's in Evil Dead. He's the mm-hmm. old woman demon who's in the basement, which, because <laughs> his brother's mean to him. Uh, anyway, it opens on uh, the story of this teen and her boyfriend, uh, and she goes into the bathroom before they make out, have sex for some reason to say... he's so cool. He's got a motorcycle and a yeah. leather jacket. But he's just sitting out on the couch and she's just saying Candyman in the mirror for no reason at all. Pretty oh, much. no. She says it before and then she gets murdered later. They, he yeah. says it four times. Yeah. And then, and she then says they the leave. Fifth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and, uh, of course, you say a, a villain's name in the mirror four or five however many times you're supposed to, and they appear and kill you with their hook. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) They appear breathing down your neck. Yeah, breathing down your neck, (laughs) and they murder you. Uh, We cut to Helen and Bernadette. Uh, Helen is married to a college professor uh, who is, we think the whole time, is having an affair with one of his students. It is confirmed. It is confirmed later. (laughs) Uh, And... She's working late one night, and a couple of the cleaning ladies at the university uh, see her research on the Candyman and say, Oh, Candyman, you need to go check out Cabrini Green, the projects down, down, because uh, then we're in Chicago, right? They're in Chicago. The projects uh, down in uh, the Chicago town, Chi-Town, I think they call it. Yeah, something like that. Uh, and, because a woman has just been murdered there by the Candyman. Uh, I want to, I have a question first. Yeah. Uh, is it Virginia Madsen? It is, is yes, I think, it, believe so it is. It's one of the whitest actresses of all time. It's playing that character. I yeah. Mean. And the only, I mean, her, but Bernadette is an African-American actress. Yes. I, I have some things I want to say about Bernadette when we get around to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, also clarify, cleaning ladies are black. Yep. The candy man is a black. No, we don't know this story. yet, though. Don't we? T- no, we I guess we don't, we don't know this yet. yet. We just know Candyman is someone who appears in the mirror. Yeah. Uh, she goes down to Cabrini Green, which is the projects, which is filled with menacing black people. Yeah. Uh, she and Bernadette go down there to check out the crime scene of the woman who is, uh, rumored to have been killed by Candyman. They find a secret back door behind her, uh, apartment mirror, her... Yeah. Uh, what is it called? Medicine cabinet. Yeah. And they climb in and it's this kind of crazy... Well, just Helen climbs in. Just Helen climbs in, and it's this kind of crazy little area. There's a very awesome uh, mural. Mural is that between rooms? Does she walk from one room to the next through that 
yeah through, the, hole. through yeah. the mouth of candy yeah man. i think there's like a secret uh like unused unit that is only yes. accessible behind <laughs> the through the medicine cabinet through yes. the medicine cabinet of this one room while where... she's doing that we are yelling why don't you just go around and go through the door yeah <laughs> uh or go in, why do you go in there at all um also a good question they, she f- takes some pictures and leaves. Doesn't really. I don't think she finds anything. She finds in there. candy with a razor blade in it. Okay, but uh, to but to know, yeah, you know what does yeah, that mean? That, that does not pay off ever in the rest of it. Except, well, I might have a theory now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> where then she uh, on the way out she meets Anne Marie, the neighbor, who is a single working mother, mm-hmm. uh, who has a baby who has a baby and she had heard some stuff about the candy man murder and called the police and the police never came she has a dog too yes oh, yeah, she, she has, has a rottweiler yeah she's living next door to where the murder took place right mm-hmm. or like it's right there she's like the, the unit over mm-hmm. she's on the same floor mm-hmm. yeah she said she heard it she heard the screams through her wall yeah mm-hmm. and called the police and the police mm-hmm. never came mm-hmm. and she has a very nice apartment by the she way. does it's very gross on the outside but she has done some work on the inside mm-hmm. it looks good um, in a detail that kind of doesn't pay off, except right here, uh, Helen's apartment is also was built as a project that has an identical layout. So that's how she knows about the medicine cabinet. Yeah. But it doesn't really go anywhere. That doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, she and Bernadette, or maybe it's just she. She goes to dinner with another folklore professor who's a pompous British There's gentleman. Bernadette's uh, there. Her Bernadette's husband's there, there too. Yeah. There's four people there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the pompous British professor is like, you should have read my book. <laughs> About Candyman. Uh, oh, but he gives her a bunch of details. But, oh, yeah. yeah and, and, yeah, and he's our, he's, our, uh, he's our info dump, which is wild. She hasn't run into this info well, yeah, in she, her studies. She was trying to show off, and then yeah. all of a sudden he says, well, I know all about Candyman, but... Yeah, blah, the story. <laughs> which is that Candyman is the son of a former slave, uh, a prodigious artist in, well, I presume, the, they gave the, 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 uh, the 19th yeah. century, uh, who is tasked with painting a the daughter of a landowner. And mm-hmm. depicting her virginal youth. Depicting yes. her virginal youth. They fall in love, and she gets pregnant. And the landowner, in retribution, hires a, uh, a gang to attack him. They cut off his hand. His, I, would, I assume it's his painting hand. Uh, to put a... Uh, did they put the hook on it? Yeah, they put a hook yeah. on it. They put a hook on it because why not, why yeah. not arm him? <laughs> uh, and then they cover him in honey. Well, he runs. He runs somewhere. Because he ends he? up at Cabrini Green. That's where he's killed. I thought I thought Cabrini Green was built over where his corpse was. I think so. I think Mike's right. I don't think they explain the process here. There was some running well. and then some honey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He definitely and to finish to finish the deed, they cover they strip him, cover him in honey, and allow the bees from the local apiary because we all have local apiaries. <laughs> but I guess yeah. it was the 19th century. What do I? Maybe mean? they do. I don't know. Yeah. Allow the bees to essentially sting him to death mm-hmm. over and over again, uh, and he now we get the impression from Jake, our young what ten year old child who lives yeah. at Cabrini Green, that the Candyman haunts that project. Yes, uh, she returns to the project by herself. By herself, enters. Wait, wait, a- wait, wait, wait. 
but that's when she's talking to the little kid. Yeah. That's does the she, first she, time she, she meet, sees okay. him. Yeah. So she meets Jake upon her return to, to Cabrini Green. Uh, and he leads her to where Candyman is, which is a very gross bathroom. Very gross. Uh, and we learn that Candyman is actually just a gang member who is... He's uh, got a hook. He, yeah, I get the impression using the folklore to make himself For scarier. Sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, more, 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 uh, more doomish. I don't know if that's a word, but uh, he attacks her. She gets knocked unconscious. Doesn't she see a bunch of bees in a toilet before she that? Does yeah. see a bunch of bees she in does a see a bunch of bees in a toilet. Oh, but that bathroom was so gross, man. And it's like, I think sweets for my sweet. That sweets to the sweet. Sweets to the sweet was like written in crap. It yeah. was really gross. Yeah. You see uh, it previously in the apartment and then you see it again in turds. Mm-hmm. She gets hit in the head, but not killed. Uh, and then we cut to the police lineup, and we we arrest the fake Candyman. Yeah. And everything's A-okay, except mm-hmm. that now that everyone believes Candyman isn't real, he's losing his power, i.e. Freddy Kruegering. Yeah. So he proceeds to appear to her. The real Candyman. The real Candyman, played by Tony Todd. So we get a, a opening narration from the real Candyman at the start of the movie with that swarm of bees flying around Chicago. Um, it doesn't, he just kind of says some gobbledygook. But you know, when he shows up later, he recognizes his voice, basically. Well, and he's talking through like a vocorder every time he talks. Yeah. He's not like, I'm Candyman. It's something like, I'm Candyman. <laughs> uh, and he's dressed in, you know, period clothes and is far yeah. more menacing than the man who attacks her. Yes. Uh, and she, he approaches her in a parking garage. She passes out and wakes up in a pool of blood. Mm-hmm. And she is in Anne Marie's apartment, uh, having and opens the door after hearing mm-hmm. Anne Marie's horrible screams. Yeah, Anne Marie or Bernadette? Anne Marie. Anne Marie, because this is where the kid goes missing. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, she's in the projects. Yeah, okay. she's in the projects. She's at Cabrini Green in Anne Marie's apartment, mm-hmm. and. We see that the Rottweiler's head has been detached, and that's all the blood everywhere, and the baby is missing, and Anne-Marie, seeing her covered in blood in her apartment, presume, you know, presumes what, well, what she's meant to presume, and holding a knife, because she picks up the knife for whatever reason, Yeah, and uh, attacks her, and then she attacks back, hits Anne-Marie with the knife in the arm, not a killing blow, no. but of course, that's when the police walk in with her holding a murder weapon, holding a murder weapon over a woman <laughs> that she just stabbed, that she just stabbed in a room filled with blood and a dog's head, and ends up in jail. Yes, uh, is released on bail and is uh, hanging with her husband at home. Her husband does not do a good job picking her up from the jail. Oh yeah, she calls her <laughs> husband from the jail at three a.m. but no one answers. Weird. That's strange. Yeah, what a is. dick! Yeah. I hate that guy. <laughs> How he he's not at home. He's probably just sleeping. Yeah, he's sleeping Soundly. too hard. Yeah, that's right. Uh. He leaves her at at the house to go run an errand, and while he's doing so, uh, Bernadette comes over to say, "Hey!" Simultaneously, as Bernadette enters the apartment, uh, Candyman is there, uh, menacing her, kind of half winking at the camera that she's the reincarnation of uh, the woman he impregnated, and that it was they were destined to be together, mm-hmm. something like that, uh, and. As she's passing out from being struck by him, he kills Bernadette. And she awakens, cuffed to the bed, 
as yeah. the police are covering Bernadette's body, and she is now uh, totally deadified. Totally deadified, and dead. Helen Helen gets mm-hmm. put into an insane asylum where she sleeps for uh, a week. A I month. think it's a, a month. month. She's out for a month. So uh, when she first gets there, Candyman is shows up. Yeah, mm-hmm. f- hovering above her bed, talking smack. And then they just put her to sleep for a month. And they put her to sleep for a month. She wakes up. No one has explained to her that she is, you know, accused of another murder and the kidnapping of the child and the killing of the dog. Yeah. And that she has been committed. Uh, She is just now, like, it was very poor psychiatry. Uh, Well, she shows that guy who's who's boss. (laughs) In my my favorite scene of that movie, by far. Uh, the psychiatrist gets murdered by Candyman immediately. <laughs> like, uh, I don't like you. I'm going to call Candyman. And he just... And he just goes, Bleep. Yeah. Uh, and she escapes, goes back to her house, where she finds that her husband is now living with Stacy. Where Stacy is doing a very bad job of painting the yeah. interior yeah. of their apartment pink. pink. I mean, Stacy sucks. <laughs> you don't see much of her, but she is useless. She's not a good painter. And it's a very terrible color. That must make Candyman very angry since he was a painter. I would think so. That's fair. I want to talk about how she escapes from the hospital, <laughs> which is out of a window onto a very thin ledge in her, you know, mental hospital gown. Uh, and yep. Just kicks into another room and steals a nurse's clothes. <laughs> so. I, I love that scene because she escapes from the psychiatrist's office taps on the window where there's like an orderly working and the orderly sees a, a mental patient at the window and is like, Come I'll just in. unlock this. And she jumps in the window and knocks the orderly out and takes their clothes. Like, if you work at a mental hospital, you should probably there might be, be a button careful or something. Yeah. <laughs> about when yeah. you see someone on a ledge. Uh, then uh, she <laughs> leaves there, goes back to Cabrini Green to confront... The Candyman. I want to interrupt and yes. say that at, earlier than this, Candyman offers her a deal. I will give you the boy, the baby back in return for your, she doesn't say, your soul. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very uh, Beauty and the Beast. The baby can go if you stay forever. Yeah. Uh, that one rose petal. Hopefully it doesn't fall before I turn in forever into Candyman. And he gives the baby some honey or something. Yeah. yeah. The baby's been living for a month off of honey, presumably. Aren't you not supposed to give babies honey? You are not supposed to eat yeah. honey if you're... No, you're not supposed to give them honey because it may have a bacterium in it, I believe. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Don't do it, listeners at home. Don't follow Candyman's. <laughs> Candyman's baby advice. On the other hand, he has to keep the baby alive for a month. And he did yeah. it. Like, that's the amazing part. And the baby looks pretty healthy, all things considering. Mm-hmm. Now that's a movie I want to see. Baby Three baby. candy men and a baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, they. She returns to Cabrini Green to give herself to Candyman to free the baby. Uh, she, he essentially like makes out with her, but with a with a mouthful of bees. Yeah. <laughs> I thought she was dead, but I she's was, not. You know, those were real bees, and they yeah. seemed yeah. to actually be yeah. in his mouth. Yeah, those were the actual. They were. <laughs> had a, like a mouth guard or something in there but that the bees were like in there I, I guess yeah the bees were sleeping? he got stung a lot by oh. the way in this and the sequels he said he'd been stung like 20 sometimes yeah i felt very bad for tony todd and virginia madison <laughs> yeah. in this scene uh she wakes up uh there's a lot of her getting knocked out and waking yeah, up I, elsewhere yeah yeah it's, it's like a harry potter movie she wakes mm-hmm. up uh on the pedestal where he's made out with her we assume she's dead but she's not 
and she realizes that Candyman has maybe betrayed her. The baby's still gone. There's a... Oh, they set up earlier there's going to be a bonfire. Yeah, like a big bonfire, too. Huge. Like the size of a house bonfire. Yeah. Right. This is that... The little kid tells her there's going to be a bonfire at Cabrini Green, and you see all of this stuff stacked up. But it's more stacked up at this point. This is like two months later, and they yeah, still yeah. haven't had their Got stupid bonfire. <laughs> yeah, and it's filled with old furniture and pallets and... All kinds scraps of, of wood she sees Candyman with the baby in there and proceeds to like crawl through she grabs a hook yeah. and then crawls in for no reason well she knows the baby's in there she's, she's gotta, gotta save hook. the baby oh, the, the baby hook. hook I don't know why she ever grabs a weapon but she it does it did help her to get up there though that's fair yeah it's like a climbing tool. So now they think Candyman's in there because they see her hook, but not her. Yeah, they see her hook, but not her. They think it's Candyman. we got to light this on fire now to get rid of the ghost that's haunting our projects. Mm-hmm. She climbs in, finds the baby just as they're lighting the pyre, and then Candyman appears and holds her and says, we'll all die together, and then we can be ghosties together. Yep. Uh, but she manages to knock him out or something. She, yeah. She, she goes to find him, but she just like kicks him. Okay. That's it. That's nothing to it. It didn't occur to me until just now. He wants he wanted the baby to be in there. Yeah. Because they were gonna have a baby. Yeah, Yeah. that was their yeah, it's their ersatz. The way Uh, that she kills him is she took she takes like a torch or something she takes fire to him and she puts it in his like bee belly. Oh yeah, he's got a weird gross like rotty chest. Yeah. Forgot about that. Full of bees. Not beer belly, bee belly. Bee belly. Did I say beer belly? You said said bee belly. You said said it right. Okay. And he's right. Karen's right. Yeah. I'd say it's more of a bee chest, but... Uh, it's like the torso cavity. Yeah. yeah. Bee torso. It's a bee thorax. Yeah. Uh, she manages to get the baby and crawl out of the burning building while protecting the baby, but while herself completely engulfed in flames. Yeah, she's messed up. Uh, the baby is returned to Anne-Marie. She dies of her burns, and we cut to her funeral. The only people in attendance are her, I guess, ex-husband. Yeah. And the college... Her widower. Her widower. And her widower. <laughs> and the uh, college woman that he is now uh, living with. Stacy, yeah. thank Trevor you. Trevor and Stacy. Oh, Friends but, the, but that, that, that pompous British guy was also there. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, good. <laughs> he, he understands best what happens when you mess with Candyman. So but then we, the entire projects come and they're like, yeah, they're, you they're, did it. Yeah, they're paying respects and, to her. And then at the very end, yeah, every, <laughs> yeah. every person... They throw the hook in there. Yeah, they throw the hook down. I thought she was going to throw the baby in. For a minute there. Oh, I've been surprised. <laughs> also, it just occurred to me, we watched two movies where you consulted the super expert, and they were both white, Academics. middle-aged British men. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we cut to the our post-sequence. Uh, Trevor, the ex-husband, the widower, is sitting fully clothed on the toilet. Uh, completely... He's sad. Completely sad that he uh, has lost his wife. Or, his wife is a serial killer. His wife his is a serial view. killer. And or maybe the the army of people from the projects has convinced him that she actually was being a victim of Candyman. Who knows? Either way, he begins chanting in the mirror, Helen, Helen, and Helen. At the oh, same Helen. time, Stacy is trying to make p- poutily cutting up steak. Yeah. Poorly too. And then she cuts herself. <laughs> yeah. Stacy's like, honey, I'm making steaks. He's like, I don't want it. <laughs> I want pizza. She's uh, tossing like steak cubes into a salad bowl or something. Yes. I was very confused. Gross. That is not steak tartare. Well, luckily, she's in trouble. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, he says Helen won too many times in the mirror, and she appears as a burned ghosty mm-hmm. and kills him with a hook. And uh, our last shot is Stacy opening the bathroom door, 
to him uh, very bloody in the bathtub and uh is there a is there a postscript is there a and helen it. and Candyman reign forever i mean there's sequels <laughs> there's but, a, yeah they, but which i've not seen any of the sequels i don't think helen's in the sequels there's no. a mural no. of helen that yeah. has replaced the Candyman mural in the project i didn't even catch that that is totally She's helen like a, in that mural fly, mm-hmm. like hovering above the yeah the townsfolk. so it's supposed to be like instead of Candyman as that black guy is Candyman, Helen has taken him his place okay. in the folklore as like the evil person. Yeah. Except it seemed like kind they kind of revered her. Not that she was Yeah. Well, they, I guess they kind of revered Candyman. They left him candy yeah. and stuff. Yeah, they left him candy. Although they did try to kill him the first chance they got. <laughs> yeah. Karen and I did some research after the movie because we were like, what the hell is going on in this movie? And there's a lot of weird trivia from Candyman. Uh, this is based on a, so this is a Clive Barker movie, a master of horror, Clive Barker. Uh, it's based on a short story by Clive Barker, which in the original story takes place in London and Candyman is an old British man with long stringy hair. Mm-hmm. Um, although he does have the bee body and he does have a hook for hand. It makes more sense. I don't understand the, we're going to Americanize this. Let's make him a victim of racism and slavery. It is a little bit like some of the elements of his character don't some of those are, don't match up, but they also kind of don't match up just generally like Candyman. Also, there's a lot of bees. Yeah. What also, the there's bees? a hook for hand. What do the bees have to do with this? Like we, Deb and I were talking, we we're like, honey is like nature's candy. Honey is candy. <laughs> it's sweet like candy, but Candyman, what is that? And be candy. The well, bees? Maybe, I mean, if it's based on a Clive Barker novel, perhaps. Well, it's a short story, but yeah. yeah. Oh, but maybe there's, it's more explained why his name is Candyman in yeah. the story. It's, it did not appear that way from the research I did. And the I'm bees. wondering if just, like, we're thinking, the, I'm wondering if it's just like one of these weird, like, 19th century England, all candy was made of honey. It, uh, maybe. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, well, they didn't have sugar cane. Until they got it from other places, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, honey is sometimes there's candy. What uh, sugar daddies? Those are honey ish, right? <laughs> yeah, nougat. I don't like know. I don't know the history of candy. Uh, here's a couple man. of things I learned. Cabrini Green they, is a real, like at the time was a was the most like dangerous projects in Chicago. They filmed it on location, and to film it there, they made agreements with the gangs that were in charge of cabrini green who appear as extras oh so when she goes into the apartment and those people talk to her the people living in the projects are those actual i can't people tell from if it's the them or if it's when the crowd shows up at the end but or the extras, all of the above yeah yeah the extras were gang members who lived in the actual cabrini green where they filmed this also when they finished filming somebody shot at their van as, as they were driving away <laughs> um and shot the, the like the back of it um I also noticed since this is filmed in Chicago, there are a lot of scenes of stuff that are from the Dark Knight, which is also in Chicago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They go under the like underpass, that, ramp. that same yeah. place where the Batmobile goes. Um, and you had something you were going to say about Bernadette. What about Bernadette? Yes. Well, here's what I was going to say about Bernadette. I am curious if Bernadette is a a character from the original story or b written in later because. When I was watching this, aside from where she is killed by Helen, she does nothing to the story. Yeah. Like she has no impact. And I wondered when we were watching it, like, is she here so that when Helen goes to the projects and 
is being very aggressive to these people being like, I'm fine. I'm just going to go in here. Like her presence there makes that makes the context of that different, but she has hardly any lines has no impact on the story. And I wonder, was she written in later to try and make this more palatable? Maybe. Because she doesn't do anything except for die. Right. That makes, I mean, until you started talking about it, I I hadn't thought of it. But every other black character in this movie, including Candyman, is, I don't know, is a racial stereotype. Yeah. I don't know, Candyman. Candyman I wasn't even thinking about the racial stereotype aspect. I was just thinking that... If Bernadette was removed from this movie, the story wouldn't change. But the the feelings that you would get of Helen being like, I'm going to go to Cabrini Green. I don't care what it's like. I'm just going to go walk into this lady's apartment because who cares? Feels really different. Oh, I so guess you mean to soften her effect in that yes, environment. that's yeah. exactly. To the audience. Bernadette is Helen's one and only black friend that legitimizes her being yes. really insulting to a black community. <laughs> She's but I also bossy. think it could, I mean, I also think that there could be something to the, to the idea that, I mean, all the other black characters, one of them's the monster, yeah. then you've got the gang kids, and then you've got the, uh, the janitors, and that's it. Yep. And then um, you've got Bernadette, who... You've got Anne-Marie, but she's a single mother. Anne-Marie is the most, the right. I, and Anne-Marie is definitely held up to be an admirable character. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But she's yeah. a stereotype. Right. But I was thinking, the, the thing that made me think this is while we were watching it about half an hour and I'm like, Bernadette has almost no lines after her initial scene with Helen. She's in every scene with other black characters in it, but she says almost nothing and she has no impact on the plot up to her death. In a way, she's kind of a stereotype too. She's yes. like the, you know, the inconsequential black woman. The she's token, the black friend. She's the token black woman in the movie that... Like, is supposed to be like, well, she's in there, so it's this isn't racist. And it's like, well, maybe it is. <laughs> yeah, that was my thought. Uh, it's also a fun fact uh, that actress who plays Bernadette is also the exact same character, black friend, in Silence of the Lambs. To yes. Jodie Foster. Yep. <laughs> Jacob and I <laughs> yeah, and I was at, No, I just was, yeah, I was like, really? And they're back to back, year to year, 90, yep. 92, 93. Well, anyway. I mean, that was part of that whole, um, you know, those stereotype those stereotypical characters from pre-1960. Well, now we have stereotypical characters that have been modernized, but they're still the same. It's still the same issue for people who want to work in Hollywood, who want to get jobs, who Mm -hmm. happen to be African-American. Well, they have to do these stupid parts as these stereotypical characters. I just remember two other pieces of trivia I read from IMDb, which are interesting. The original person up for Candyman was Eddie Murphy, but he was too short. That's why they didn't go with him. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> Which I thought was interesting. And the original actress up for Helen was Sandra Bullock, but she was an unknown at the time, and they decided to go with somebody more well-known. I'm kind of glad they didn't mm-hmm. use Eddie Murphy, because mm-hmm. he's okay. a little too funny. Right? I mean, he's yeah. a comic actor, and he did make horror comedies in the 90s. He did. I also think it's funny, because Eddie Murphy passed on Ghostbusters, and also passed on Candyman. Well, he was right to pass on Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, probably. He'd be more funny in Ghostbusters. I, I think, I don't know. I have, I have very strong opinions that Ernie Hudson's the best choice Ernie for the character. Ernie Hudson is fantastic. Mm. I also want to say that Tony Todd is really good in Candyman, even though that's kind of a silly movie. Like, he's the best part of that movie by a long shot. I would, for me, he was. Right, yep. For, Virginia Madsen is playing that. It's kind of a stereotype as well. She's the, yeah. uh, she's the backdrop. She's not really, an, she doesn't, 
really make things happen. She's just the thing around, you know, like there's always that main character that's kind of boring and then all the good stuff happens around them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Uh, immediately the new girl that the show, the new girl comes to mind where the, it's the Zoe Deschanel. Character. Yeah. The Zoe Deschanel character, at least it originally, she's a little better now, but it was just like, you're super boring, but all these people around yeah, you she, are great. Yeah. She exists for those three roommates to be mm-hmm. hilarious. To be around. do some, yeah, yeah. To be doing some things. Yeah. I, I even though Candyman in the movie, you know, the, even though Candyman was supposed to be the villain, like I kind of found myself rooting for him. <laughs> right? No, he is definitely the person you root for in yeah. this movie. Because they're all. I mean, everybody else, even Helen, are kind of. Trila's gone. That's yeah. it. Trila's the bird. She. Somebody probably went outside. She'll do that. If <laughs> She's leaves. lonely. Yeah. But yeah, I found myself rooting for him. Like, yeah. he's a dark, he's like, I don't know, Heathcliffy in a way, like, dark hero, just like, he's the yeah. bad guy, but he's also the person that I'm like, yeah, I think you should probably, I don't know. <laughs> I will say, go for it. To my mom's point about Helen being kind of a non, like, kind of a non-starter as a character, <laughs> my favorite scene in this movie is the scene with the psychiatrist, and now that you're saying that, I realize that's because the scene, that's, that's the scene where she actually acts, where mm-hmm. the psychiatrist is pushing around and she's like, well, I can prove Candyman's real. I'm going to call him right now. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where they're like, no, it's not going to work. You're like, oh, never mind. And then the psychiatrist just keels over as the Candyman chops him up. Well, my one favorite scene of her is after her husband calls her into the into the mirror. Mm-hmm. And then she shows up and she's the monster. Only yeah. she's just, she, you know, she's all scarred up. But they've sort of given her embellishments or whatever she's yeah. quite beautiful actually in that scene and she's wearing something different like a white dress yeah. or something and that's for me that's my favorite scene of her in that movie is when yeah. she shows up as the monster well and we're talking about in uh sugar hill this uh almost film noir like lighting aesthetic there were several shots of her where someone's talking at her about Candyman, where they do the like oh, yeah. strip of light mm-hmm. over her eyes mm-hmm. in like the film noir, and I did not. This was a beautifully shot movie. Yeah. Uh, I was very. I know, I've seen Candyman a couple times. Uh, I it's my least favorite of the four of these. Uh, thus yeah, far. I would say so too. Mm-hmm. For me as well. But uh, but there is some good stuff. Like I even yeah. say I liked it. It's there are a lot of elements of Candyman that don't really hold together. And there are aspects of it that, like, I don't really get, like, that were kind of undercooked. But it's still pretty cool. Like, I still liked it. Of all the movies we've watched, it's definitely going to be in the top 50% (laughs) as opposed to at the, you know, the bottom 50%. It was entertaining. It was good to look at. It had some interesting characters. There were some jump scares. Oh, and the music was by Philip Glass. Oh. That was good. I so when I thought when they set up with the opening narration where Candyman's talking about you got to believe in me and all this stuff and they they kind of go on this I expected that have any of you guys read American Gods by Neil Gaiman Are you asking me this question Well I'm asking the table um, <laughs> and the soon audience. to be a television Yes uh, there is a concept in American Gods semi spoilers that there are that the gods. Uh, live off of belief they're these like immortal beings and Mm. they get strength from people believing in them and there are some things in this movie where candy man says basically that's what he's doing he wants people to believe in him when the candy man in the projects is found out to be a a, like a gang member uh that he's lost power and he wants to build that up and i expected that was where this movie was going kind of goes a different direction but i thought that was a really cool concept for a horror movie where like 
he wants people to believe in him, so he needs to murder people or needs to have people murdered in his honor to I, build up his power. And I don't know if this is too far of a stretch, but I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there that yeah. I think that you can, ex- I don't know, extrapolate that a little bit and say, like, that whole thing about people believing a th- people believing a concept is the thing that drives that concept oh, to keep going. Um, that makes me sad. Well, I, I want to finish my <laughs> thought. Um, the thing that drives, like, this concept, this belief that continues to go on, it, it kind of makes me think about, like, like, the way that these ideas of what black people are in society and just, like, people of color in society, like, the thing that drives fear is just this depiction or this belief in something that's not exactly true all mm-hmm. the way it's like hey you know we're really really scared of these villainous black people or these terrible bad hombres and so that's how they are and let's fuel that like i think that that th- there was some social commentary in that movie of like you should people should think so. about like you know believing in something that's not at, that might not be true but then having that drive how you right like behave well, in the world and that is why i i came in to, i sort of interrupted you with by saying you're that makes me sad is because I, today right now mm-hmm. people are believing things mm-hmm. i mean they always have but right now they're believing things that are provably untrue mm-hmm. and it's giving them power and it's really scary and sad mm-hmm. My mom hates fake news. I yeah. do hate fake news. That's her least favorite thing. <laughs> it's it's this it's the thing that is that drives American society, you know, like it ever ever since the first, you know, like the, the fear of immigrants of all of all of all types of immigrants over the over the years, you know, it's just this, this fear of these mm-hmm. people, this unknown, the xenophobia and then that just drives people to act in ways that aren't you know, that are really unreasonable, unrealistic, and really stupid and unfortunate. Yeah. That's interesting because I was taking it a different way. Uh, uh, as in the the Candyman has to be remembered because it is the memory of white violence against black men is mm. what I was taking it as. But... Yours is very good, and I like it better. <laughs> I don't know. I think you should go into that sure. a little bit more because I'm very interested in that. I don't know if I have any thoughts beyond that. Mm-hmm. This just when we were started talking about the idea of uh, the needing to remember. It's it, it was it was it was interesting to me. That's that's where my mind immediately left to is mm-hmm. the the Candyman needs to be remembered because. It, I mean, I, I guess if I'm going to leap into it, Helen's placing the Candyman uh, identity onto, like, a gangbanger mm-hmm. uh, suddenly attributes the Candyman identity with black violence against white people, mm-hmm. uh, whereas the Candyman yeah. identity might have originally been, uh, you know, white white violence against, black, against, black, against, yeah. against black men. But, I mean, I definitely think this is the type of movie... That wants that subtlety. Mm-hmm. Both of those things are true, mm-hmm. I and think, I think this movie wants us to. Yeah, I, I mean, I really like both those ideas. I think it's really interesting to me that number one, this the story that this is based on. He's not a black man. It's yeah. not the projects, which I don't. I don't really come out one way or the other on that. Like that, maybe that was a way to make this story more relevant, or maybe it was just a stupid idea. Like it's it's hard to tell what the the purpose behind it was. 
Um, but I think that's really interesting. I also think that it's really interesting that, that we can talk about those concepts in a movie where there are a lot of stereotypes that are used without a lot of subtlety. Yeah. There are black gang members mm-hmm. who are just black gang members who end up in jail the end of their character. Like, that's the end of their story. Um, but that is also, I think, throughout this show and throughout movies in general, that's like the horror movie genre is stereotypes being used for an interesting way and also being used not in an interesting way, just as a, like, to fill in that role. Okay. But we should move on to Get Out because before, that is... Before we move on to Get Out, I got two pieces of trivia that are, that are in my mind. Fun One, facts. Bernie Rose directed uh, Candyman. He also directed the 2015 Franken- Frankenstein that also had... Tony Todd. Tony Todd in it. Who was great in Frankenstein. I think you can go back and listen. We were all like the best. Oh, yes. Guy he the was the best. Mm-hmm. Right. He's, he's a very good actor. Yeah. The other thing, the movie for Night of the Living Dead was written by a man who, I don't remember a whole lot of details. This is the one thing I remember. Yeah. That man's music is used for cues in the Ren and Stimpy show. Yeah. <laughs> And when I was listening to it, I was thinking, this is really old school music, like from the 40s. That, I did, that was one thing I did not like about Night of the Living Dead was the music. Because yeah, it sounded very much like the music from Frankenstein from 1940. Mm-hmm. But knowing that they then took that music and used it to score a cartoon. <laughs> then you were on board. Awesome. Excellent cartoon. You know what we were thinking when we were watching um, Candyman was that a lot of that music sounded like the music in the room. Um, yes, it does. And this is a we we mentioned the room often on this podcast is one of my favorite movies. But mm-hmm. um, just that that Tommy Wiseau is the room, not the yeah. more recent. The room. Oh yeah, Tommy oh, Wiseau. I, I knew what you meant. Yes, that one is just <laughs> for the so audience. good. But that music in the Candyman sounds so much like the music it in does. the room, where um, the music where they you know pan over San Francisco and just that like scene neutral scene transition yeah. music. It was so similar. I wanted to say as well that. Although it is not relevant to this conversation, the other George Romero mo- zombie movies, he uses music. Like, I think he learns from this first movie. He uses music in a very specific way. So there's like one of the movies from, I think, the 80s, because he, he's made these movies for like 30 years, uses punk rock, and he uses that to tie it in. And when you watch Dawn of the Dead, there's like, wham, when they're all <laughs> escaping. From- like, he uses the mo- the music of the time to say something in those movies and it's really interesting as you watch his like all of his movies how he uses that and learns from it i'd like to meet him when deb had suggested we should do some special episodes and she was like maybe we should do a person of color one i said we should totally watch get out because that's in theaters like right now or in two weeks so it was i i really felt like we should totally watch that movie um so get out is a movie about an interracial couple um Chris is black and Rose is white and mm-hmm. he is going to meet her family for the first time. Oh, <laughs> so cool. Right. It, it's yeah. it's he's about to meet her, her family for the first time. He asks, hey, do they know I'm black? And she says, what does that have to do with anything? They don't know. They Who don't cares? Know. Oh, whatever. We're in a post-racial society. So come on. It's fine. Um, they are on their way to meet they're driving they're on her way on their way to go meet her family um a deer crosses the road and their car strikes it it's the first time i jumped in this movie yes Mm -hmm. that was a all of that scene was so stressful yeah yeah. 
it was really stressful and I really I want to like synopsize the movie and I don't know how I can do that without putting my thoughts into the plot as well but uh, I'm gonna try my very best but we gotta we need to go back a little bit because there's an opening scene before any of that oh, happens yeah. oh, which is oh, I forgot so there's a black man walking through a through the suburbs through some kind oh, of yes. suburbs and he is and nervous and he doesn't know where he's going and he's, he's lost yeah and then someone a car a car drives up to him and it's you know it's this very eerie feeling of like I'm being followed mm-hmm by someone in a car. I'm but, a black man in a white suburb neighborhood. It's nighttime and I'm out of my element here. Um, a, 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 I don't know, costumed figure. Some some person gets yeah. out of their car and like, I don't know, it looks like they kill him or they kidnap him or they take him or whatever. They yeah. knock him out. and Put him in a trunk. And then the the movie opens with like Chris's character living in his apartment and he's you know there's photos on the wall maybe he's a photographer it's confirmed that yes he is a photographer um his girlfriend is buying pastries for them um and it, the the movie is like this black guy is going to meet this white girl's parents for the first time and meet her family for the first time and what ensues there mm-hmm. and um he goes there on their way there, there's a the, her the um, Rose is driving, and they hit a deer, and you can see that you know he's feeling some he's connecting in some way to the deer, which I'm gonna get to later on in our like analysis of this. Um, but a policeman comes, and you know it's this first instance of like this racial tension that happens with the policeman where even though rose is driving chris the black boyfriend is asked to see his id um and she says hey you know why do you need to see his id he wasn't the one driving and it's supposed to be like hey you know she gets it she's this white gal who gets it like she's standing up for her black boyfriend and it's cool um I mean, later on, we find out that that's just her building trust for her victim. Um, But then they, you know, they leave. The policeman says, "Okay, fine. You know, I don't need to see your ID and you guys can go. They get to the parents home and it's just this home of, you know, it's these like what I would say, like hip parents. And, you know, this this um, Rose's dad is like, yeah, totally get black issues and. Rose's mom is like, yeah, I, you know, I'm cool and I'm a psychiatrist and I'm like a thinking person and I get it. And um, Chris is, you know, he's on guard, um, but he's there to meet her parents. So he's trying to be like friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, and one of them's a psychiatrist. The mom is yeah. a psychiatrist. And the dad is a doctor. A brain surgeon. Yep, a brain surgeon. So they're both manipulators of the mind in some way um they have two black uh servants, servants. Yes. Uh, help. i was trying to think what the, the Who, word was but yeah yeah chris sees and then the dad says oh it must look bad but these were people that were taking care of my parents when um they were in their older age and then once my parents passed away well we just kept them around and um yeah. they've just been working on the grounds ever since and you know chris sees them and he's like oh um, like he's trying to give them some respect, like, uh, treat them with respect, not just as the help, but like, oh, you know, thanking them for thanking the maid for, um, pouring him a beverage and mm-hmm. just trying to say hello to the groundskeeper. Um, 
Oh, you know, it's really hard to summarize a plot. You guys have all done stellar jobs, and I'm... You're doing great. I'm really having a hard time, but... If you need help, just let us know. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll let you guys know. Um. So, oh, there's so much in this movie, but eventually... Okay, maybe I will have you guys help me. Well, we do know... I mean, the mom, we know that she uses hypnotism, and they talk about mm-hmm. that at some point. He yeah. smokes. Because he the, smokes, yeah. oh, right. and it's a... It's an ugly habit, and they're saying that uh, you should let a you should let like her, um, Rose's dad is like you should let her hypnotize you and and break you free from the smoking habit. She's mm-hmm. really good at it. It helped me. You also almost immediately find out that there's going to be a big party that weekend. It's mm-hmm. like their yeah. annual surprise, Chris. Their annual thing that yeah, they do, together, and yeah. it's always on this date. Yeah, it's She's always like, on oh, this date. <laughs> and the daughter just didn't know that mm-hmm. there was going to be this this party. Uh, you also are introduced to her brother who shows up later. Oh, who that's is just ooh, and mean for, and racist to him from the get go. And we yeah. forgot about Rod. Rod, yeah, the best character. Who's Rod? Chris's friend from the TSA. Oh, Rod, Rod, Rod. Rod. He's important. Rodney. So yes. Chris has a dog, and Rod is works for the TSA, TSA. Mm-hmm. and he's going to be feeding his dog while he's gone. Yes. And they periodically phone each other. Yeah, they're and, friends. And he's a very comic relief, uh, hilarious character. But he's also the character that knows the most about what's going Like, he just yes. has a sense of, like, this kind is of- what's going on. You should be wary of, the- yeah. of meeting her family. And you should be wary, like, just, you know, be a little on guard. And she's <laughs> also kind of, his girlfriend, um, I, what's the guy's name? Chris? Chris. His girlfriend mm-hmm. is kind of flirty with with Ron. Ron, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which later is a sinister, I mean, if you think about it, is a somewhat sinister... Yes, you find out later that's not a good Yeah, good yeah, that's thing. a bad thing. Um, but he, yeah, he says, you don't want to go into this situation. He is yeah. the voice of reason? Yeah, yeah he's absolutely. definitely the voice of he's, reason in this movie. He becomes, I mean, he's playing a, uh, uh, what I would what, what, what I would consider to be a kind of stereotype of... Uh, I'm going to just use the word black uh, conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Uh, it just turns out all his conspiracies are 100% accurate. Yep. Yes. Yeah. He is the most competent character and he knows what's going on. So during this weekend stay of Chris and Rose staying with her parents, a lot of things happen. Um, just like re- off-putting things that make Chris think like, I don't know what's going on here. Um, he has a weird interaction where it seems like the maid is messing with his phone. Mm-hmm. Um and he confronts her about it, and the maid just says this thing of like, "Well, I just was cleaning." So. Those were those interactions were the most amazing things mm-hmm. because yeah. she is giving this explanation, and this happened multiple times in the movie. She's giving this explanation of you know, and it's just so perfectly normal. I was just dusting, and it got it, you know, and I didn't want to touch your stuff, and a single tear yep. drips down her, <laughs> a single yeah. tear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we Jacob and I watched Get Out like uh, like two weeks ago. Three, Much longer than that. Three weeks, maybe almost more, a month ago. More, more month and a half. So was. I'm trying to like really remember the plot. I watched it linearly. last night. <laughs> um, well, also the very first jump scare is just that is just the maid walking past the door. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Chris wakes up in the middle of the night uh, wanting a cigarette and wanders around the darkened house. And that's the night that he gets hypnotized for yep. the first time. Mm-hmm. So I guess, uh, you know, linear plot be damned. I'm just going to talk <laughs> yeah, about how he gets hypnotized for the first time. His um, He goes out for, Chris goes out for a cigarette. Um, some weird shit happens where the groundskeeper like is charging at him. Yeah. 
um, very fast and then just takes a left. And then Chris is like, well, that was weird. Um, he goes back inside and uh, Rose's mom is st- sitting in her study where she meets her clients and she's like, oh, you know, come in. And she's stirring her teacup, which is the method by which she hypnotizes people. Um, he goes into a hypnotic state and she makes him remember the night that his mom died. Um, Chris's mom died. And the way that she died was she was hit by a car walking in the street. And um, later on, Chris as a child finds out about that Um because he, you know, he, he was like, where's my mom? As a kid, he's like, where's my mom? I don't know where she is, but I'm just going to sit here, wait for her, um, sit in my room and watch TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, he finds out that she was like bleeding in the street for hours and he could have helped her, but he didn't. And you kind of relate late yeah. when you find out the way that Chris's mom died, you find out like maybe that's why he was relating to the deer who was hit by Rose's car um yeah he's like this there's a scene where his eyes are are looking at the deer's eyes and it's it's oops and it's um it's like i you don't know what he's relating to but you know that he's relating to that deer yeah um i'm gonna jump ahead jump back (laughs) to the beginning of the movie where um chris and chris is going on a tour of the grounds with rose's dad and he's talking about um the deer and how he hears a story about how Rose hit a deer with her car. And he's like, well, I wish you could just kill all the deer. They're, they're overbreeding. It's overpopulated with deer here. And I, I really read that as like this veiled, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I wish we could kill all the black people because that previous scene is, um, I'm getting very excited here. And I'm getting into into the analysis when I should just talk about the plot, but there's so much symbolism in this movie. Um, and it starts with the deer, I think, um, you know, right with the scene where you see Chris is relating in some way to the deer, it immediately, it cuts almost immediately. It cuts to the dad saying, I wish we could kill all the deer. You're like, Oh, what's going on here? Um, meanwhile, there's also deer like trophy, trophy deer on all over the walls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And stags and statues and Mm -hmm. there's deer imagery all over the place in their house. And it kind of makes sense. Like later on you learn, I'm, I'm all over with the plot. You got to do this chronologically (laughs) because it'll make no sense. Okay. I I think I need some help here. You guys, it's been a month or so since I watched this movie. So the next day after the hypnotism. Wait, but there, we need to mention in the hypnotism, What's the name of the place that she sends him? The underneath or something. Right. The downstairs. So, so she basically, yeah. she hypnotizes him and he falls into, in a, into a, he just falls into a deep well and she's like way above him. Literally. You can yeah. see like her it, face. Visually. It's almost it's, like a TV screen above right. him. Yeah. It's like he's fallen into a TV only and he's fallen down and down and down and there's nothing he can do. He's paralyzed. Mm-hmm. And she tells him now you're in the sunken place. The sunken place. Yeah. And then he wakes up, it's like the next yeah. day. He wakes up the next day and he's like, I had a terrible dream. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think your mom might have hypnotized me. I and, don't know. and his girlfriend gets super mad that his mom, that her mom did that. Yeah. Yeah, that her mom hypnotized him to get rid of his smoking habit. But surprise, it's a party today. Get but ready. the party <laughs> is today. Yeah. And suddenly there's a whole bunch of white people that arrive. Mm-hmm. And he is super uncomfortable through the whole movie. As, yeah, well, as he should be. I mean, is anyone watching this movie, yeah. basically? Um, and at the party, there's a there is a an interracial couple, I guess. Yeah. So there's a middle aged woman who has a young black male mm-hmm. husband mm-hmm. who is like 
showing his new clothes and spinning around and talking very white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like it's a, a very straw creepy. Boater. <laughs> yeah, yes. straw boater and, and like a tweed jacket and yes and uh he tries to have a conversation he goes over chris, chris goes over yeah. to have a conversation with him but it, they don't relate because he's yeah. expecting to have a conversation with a black man and the man is behaving in a very white man yeah i think i think my favorite quote is his wife comes up and uh the logan the uh the, the black husband says chris just told me he's much more comfortable seeing me here yes that's <laughs> Um, he has a, com- Chris has a conversation. He kind of wanders off. He has a conversation with a blind, uh, art collector, a man yes. who I always refer to as Jimmy James. Yeah. Played by Steven Root from <laughs> TV's news radio. Yes. Or, uh, not King of the Hill. Daniels. I was trying to remember his character. No brother. Where art thou? And he's, and he's a, yeah, he's a guy oh. from office space. He's in everything in the world. Is he he's the a- grandpa in King of the Hill? No, he's Dale, the neighbor. He's Dale? Oh. No, not Dale. Bill Dotree? Bill Dotree. I love Bill. <laughs> yeah. Bill is my favorite. He's one of my favorites. So basically, he's a national treasure. No, yes. he's Steve <laughs> Root. Yeah, Steve Root. I saw his name on there. I'm like, oh, it's going to be a good movie. But you see that Chris is talking to this um, blind art director or something. And they have an awesome conversation. They too. do. And because yeah. Chris is a photographer, which we didn't mention before. I did mention it oh, yeah. in the beginning. Okay. So he's a photographer, and his photographs are displayed in this man's gallery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the man says, "Oh, I'm so envious of your photographic eye. I'm blind now, and I started going blind as soon as I was getting into art collecting." Well, and he never had the eye. Oh, he yeah, never had the he eye. He never had the okay. eye. He was like, I was submitting things to National Geographic and got turned down 15 times before I realized mm-hmm. I didn't have it. And my yeah. assistant has described your works in great detail, and you've got the eye. And good on you, pal. And I thought, oh, at least he, there's someone here that's like saying yeah. <laughs> but then, he's doing a good job. But then all around them, there's all these other elderly white couples who are like, I'm into golf. Can I see your golf swing? Hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Black people certainly are yeah, cool right muscles. now. Yeah. You got big old muscles. Do a flex for me. Mm-hmm. And it's very, he is, feels very on display. Yeah. Yes. So, oh, okay. So then he... F- takes a picture of Logan, Logan, mm-hmm. which causes him to act very strangely and yes. yell at him to get out. He tells Chris to get out. You realize it's like a cautionary thing. Like, right. hey, man, like I'm briefly out of my sunken place. And yeah. He's just suddenly, get out of here. He suddenly becomes the uh, drifter at the beginning of Friday the 13th. Yeah. Like, yeah. Get out of here. Just, just leave. Mm-hmm. Which I guess, does that, why does Chris leave? Because he leaves for a period of time. He does yeah. because then they all sit down and have an auction at the same oh. party. No, he goes later. To later, later to he sends the picture to he sends the picture to Rodney, mm-hmm. and yeah. Rodney's like, "Oh, that's Andre. Remember Andre? He disappeared six missing. months ago." Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's like, "But that's not Andre. Andre doesn't talk like that. Andre doesn't wear those clothes." Yeah. And then he's like, you got to He's like, it's probably some sort of sex club, some hypnotism sex club. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Chris then takes Rose off. Uh, you know, on a, they go basically off oh, right. of the property. They, they go he, to have a chat. And they have a romantic chat on the lake where he says, like, hey, I am really uncomfortable here. Here's all these things. And Rose says, you know what? I get it. We'll just go. We'll make up a story. We can just go and get mm-hmm. in our car and go home. Let's mm-hmm. go home. It's nighttime. And meanwhile, you see the other members of the party are having an, a silent auction. For what purpose? Who knows? Well, yeah. There's a photo of him right. on this yeah. There's a large photo of Chris 
on the auction block. Yeah. It's a literally silent auction as the audience. You don't hear what they're talking about, but there's a picture of Chris and they're all raising paddles. And sometimes, yeah, yeah. because earlier the dad had said, let's all go play bingo. Mm -hmm. Right. And now we find out, well, play bingo means auction something off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the winner is the blind guy. Yep. Mm -hmm. So then they go, Chris and Rose return to the house to start packing. Um, And this is where he's packing. She leaves the room. He sees like an open door, like a crawl space door. Oh, yeah. yeah. Opens it and finds a shoebox full of pictures where we are revealed that Rose has dated a lot of black people before. And it's for Chris. It's very strange because she said, you're my first black boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And and this is kind of new to me. But no, you see this shoebox full of her with um, black Mainly black guys, but there's also a black woman in and there, And that too. black woman is, is the maid. Yep, is the maid. Yes. So um, you you see it's just this weird... You're finding a lo- finding out along with Chris that Rose is suspicious, that he should be suspicious of Rose, yes. and that this is a place where there's a lot of questions coming up for Chris, and he just needs to get the fuck out of this place. Oh, and this is where he starts playing it very smart, too, because mm-hmm. he doesn't yeah. jump into like a... He's confrontational. Confront He's yeah. like, can you just find those keys for me, please? Yep. That'd be really Come great. Come on, Rose, let's do this. Let's find keys. keys, please. Yeah, so he, he keeps his cool throughout most of this movie, and then, oh, the action pack. Finale. Oh, my God, yeah. it's so good. So, I don't know if we're, was there any? No. So, they knock Chris out, like, I guess. Um, well, Chris... there's, okay, there is a great, the great scene where he's trying to get out. He still thinks that the girlfriend is on his side. Yep. But he's starting to suspect. Wait a minute, maybe she's she's not. not. Yeah, Yeah. and then the brother's there. He's got a whatever fireplace poker. Whatever he's holding, some sort of bludgeoning device. The mom's there with her. Does she have a teacup? She does. The dad's there, Um, and he's saying he's just basically begging her for the keys, and she's still acting like, "Oh, I can't find him. I I gotta get out of here." And then switches it up. Yep. And then she just stops. And she's like, "Well, you can't expect me to find these keys. You know, something. There's it's like you know, I'm not gonna find. You know, I'm not giving you these keys." So he realizes oh shit like it's that oh shit moment where every all of these internal feelings he had these hesitations of going over to meet the folks like they're all, all true it's all true and they're all well it's like a hundred times worse <laughs> than yes, like the beginning it's not just like you know my girlfriend's racist family it's like hey these people are gonna hurt me yeah um and they do i think they knock him out and then he wakes up in the basement, strapped, strapped to, to a, a chair. A comfy she chair. Taps the, the mom taps her spoon on the teacup, which causes him to just fall oh, unconscious. And so right. he sees them dragging him away, but he's in the sunken place. He can't do anything. Yeah, her her teacup paralyzes him like he was paralyzed when he yeah. you know, couldn't didn't go mm-hmm. after his mom. It's her like sleep mm-hmm. yeah. thing. So he wakes up to strap to a chair in the rec room of their home or yeah whatever. in the basement and in a room what you is, haven't seen before yeah. yeah but it is it is very like converted basement rec pool. room there's yeah. a there's a it's trophy like a game room yeah yeah there's room. a foosball table yeah. <laughs> there's an old cabinet television like there's a the big 60s. deer deer yeah the right yeah staring right at him and then yeah. the a video comes on on this tv and it turns out to be a video introducing him to the ideas of the coagula which is this fucking cult um mm-hmm. that rose's parents are they, his they started originally grandparents they, started, yeah, yeah rose rose's grandparents started his dad figured out a way to um i i thought his dad like figured out the way to how to i think it was the mom actually 
I think they said, or but it's a combo of the two. Somehow, this family, yeah. as a unit, has developed a method of essentially putting brain swaps. Yeah, so brain swaps. for their um, for their aged white relatives or their aging white relatives or clients, whatever, clients, just people who pay the money. Yeah, they they take out their brains and put them into the body, like the bodies of these, like what Rose's family says, like top what a, top physical. Um, yeah, conditions. they use a term there. No, it's definitely got this this level of which it's we're they're putting these older people, these older rich people, into younger bodies, mm-hmm. and they're using black people in this kind of. Well, one of the in the auction, one of the people says like, "Well, black's really in right now." Well, and it's black's really in right now. Yeah. And it's this. It, there's this overarching, even like black people are physically superior. Yeah, like yeah, it, like sort of. Uh, I would say. Stereotype we get from sports mm-hmm. and and, yeah. and other various. Well, Rose's things. grandpa lost against Jesse Owens in That's some right. Olympic race. I forgot. Oh that. my gosh, yeah. I forgot about that. That makes the running so much more hilarious. It, yeah, it does. So that's why you get you know this. Um, what Rose's grandpa is now in a runner's body in the movie. The groundskeeper is a yeah. runner, like a really fast sprinter, and it makes sense. Um, but. Chris is watching this video about introducing him to the the ways of the coagula, which is this cult. Yeah. And he realizes, like, they're about to put some person's brain into my brain, uh, some person's brain into my body. Then he realizes after the video plays a little bit more that the person whose brain is going into his body is that art guy that he was talking yeah. to. Stephen yeah. Root appears on the television yeah. and tells him all about the process, about how we're going to cut out the... Most of your brain, except the part that connects your mind to your body, you'll be, uh, the you'll nervous be system. You'll, you'll be, be there. there. You'll be there in the sunken place while I control your body. And I can use the... your photographic eye. Yeah, right. and I can use your eye to make sweet, sweet pictures mm-hmm. and live my dream. So Chris is like, fuck this! And he's just so terrified. Like, you know, he figures out a way because he's so nervous. Um, he's scratching the arms of his leather chair. Which is... a a mannerism that he has when his mother gets killed. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yeah, the same mannerism. And yeah. he does it at another time in the movie. So yeah. it's... Well, and I didn't notice this till I looked at IMDb. He literally picks cotton out of those yeah, couches. Yeah, that's how he... The way that he... He the, the way yeah. that he uses his smarts in this movie is that he's scratching so much on the chair, he digs out the stuffing under the leather of this chair. But then he thinks, like, I can use this to stuff into my ears and prevent myself from being brainwashed even further and all the while while this is happening uh rodney is back in uh, new york probably mm-hmm. i think so uh putting this all together realizing that his his friend chris is in trouble goes to the police which is interesting <laughs> that the police is entirely people of color mm-hmm. yes all the police uh that we see and of course they don't believe him because who would believe that a rich white family in connecticut is kidnapping and uh Mind controlling. mind controlling and selling black people. Right. Yeah, they laugh in his face. They laugh in his they face. Laugh in Rodney's face. But he's TSA. He's got it. Yeah, yeah he knows. <laughs> um, so Chris is like really, really trying to think of how do I get the fuck out of here. Um, he stuffs the cotton in his ears and he pretends to be dead or he pretends to be yeah. asleep or something. So the cotton stops it so that mm. when the teacup puts you to sleep things mm-hmm. come up he can't hear it mm-hmm. and uh so rose's brother 
goes in and get is about to go get him for the surgery, and then Chris bludgeons him with a pool ball. Yeah. What do you call yeah. it? Billiards yeah, it's ball? It's a pool ball. Yeah, you're... Billiards. You're billiards right. Billiards ball. <laughs> Whatever. Pool and billiards. They use the ball. same ball. Um, it's, 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 it's a billiards ball because it doesn't have the number on it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Michael. Okay, so he, you know, he tricks that guy into thinking that he's dead, but, or not dead, but asleep. He tricks Rose's brother to think that he's asleep. At the moment, at the crucial moment, he knocks out the brother and plans his escape. Well, I want to clarify. He doesn't knock out the brother. He kills the brother. Like, <laughs> no, he, no, he knocks him out. The brother comes back. Yeah, the brother does come back. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. He, he kills think, him later. He may think he kills him, yeah. but he merely... And you see the dad... He, doesn't he push him surgery. into the antlers of the deer? No, that's the dad. That's yeah. the dad. So he, you, he takes off the, the, I guess, like the dad who's, you know, doing the surgery. He's like, what's taking so long? He goes to inspect what's happening, why mm-hmm. um, Rose's brother is slow um, and then he gets attacked. Like Chris is like the only way for me to get out of here. I guess is to use these pull off the pull off the deer with the, the antlers. deer trophy. Yeah. Yep. Takes that charges flips him. it and uses it against yeah. Rose's dad and stabs him with the antlers. My favorite death in the movie. Mine yeah, too. It was, cool. it was very good. I thought it was so symbolic of like, hey, you you want to use me as a trophy? Well, here's your fucking trophy. Let me kill you with it. Yeah. Um, so, like Sugar Hill, each one gets their own death? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Except, yeah. except much faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like... Bam, bam, bam. How did the mom die? The in mom, she she uh she attacks him. So he he runs into her in her study where she does the hypnotism. She tries to get the teacup. She to tries the to get the teacup, but he destroys it. Then she stabs him through the hand with like a letter, letter opener. opener. Yeah, and he just forces it back into her face. Yes. yes. So and kills her. Yeah, cool deaths. Cool deaths in this movie. Uh, you see the you see Rose meanwhile is listening on her headphones uh, up in her room. In her, at, I'm gonna say her special room because it's, it's in this room. room she has right. photographs of all her black victims. Yes, and she wall. is looking up NCAA champions on Google, Who scrolling through photos of. Oh no, I thought guy. she was. I thought she was loading up NCAA victim or NCAA. I thought I I did not picture it as her looking up her next victim so much as looking up for some personal enjoyment <laughs> for personal time. Oh, Could I, be. That's how I was imagining. I, I thought it was just her yeah. like being like, "Who can I put my moves on next?" I thought maybe? so, but I, if she like if she went to if she went to Facebook and started doing that, yeah. maybe because people would notice if but it like, was just Google, a prominent athlete yeah, would be missing disappeared. But mm-hmm. it was just Google images. I yeah. thought it was just a weird. Uh, I read a weird article about the the racist symbols of milk. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Because she's drinking because she's yeah. drinking yeah. milk out of a straw. Segregating yeah. the milk, which is white, from oh. the colored cereal. Oh, that's not even what I read. Oh. What, what I read is that uh, apparently, uh, yeah. it's such a large uh, people of color community of lactose intolerant people that mm. milk is just kind of inherently disgusting oh to people of color the, i mean and I, the alt-right has taken on milk as a icon for them right now much like pepe the frog oh i see i did not know pepe. that i i mean mm-hmm. that I, was just the article i read it was an interesting one the yeah. ones i've read were like she's separating the colored cereals from the white milk and i mean i think that exists in there too yeah. i didn't picture it until now but yeah 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 
Um, also, apparently, Keegan Michael Key is on her Google search in that. Oh, <laughs> is he? <laughs> that, yeah, that that's funny. Set of pictures. So she's in her room and she's listening to some like cheesy corny music. <laughs> she's listening to like eighties pop, some yeah. real stuff that I listen to on a regular basis. It yeah. sounds like I forget which one it is. I have the time of my it life. is. It's 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 yeah. And I owe it all to <laughs> it's you. dirty dancing. It's dirty dancing. Yep, it totally is. That's what she's listening to, and she's just having them sitting in the dark, looking at these pictures. Um. Meanwhile. Rodney calls her and he's like, hey, so where's Chris? Oh, yeah, we skipped that part. That happens before. Oh, yeah. that happens before? That happens before he escapes, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Rodney's like, hey, so where's Chris? And she's like, well, uh, he left because he was upset a couple days ago. So I don't know where's Chris. But hey, while we're on the phone, Rodney, <laughs> can I put my moves on you? But Rodney's wise to what she's trying to do yeah. or has some suspicions. And he, you know, has having none of that. Um, it's not. Uh, wait, in the meanwhile, he learns. Well, he's he kills the dad, kills yeah. the mom, he kills the brother. Mm-hmm. He discovers that the the two the maid and the groundskeeper. He doesn't discover it. So he's he's driving away. He yes. kills the brother. He kills the brother. So the brother attacks him in the in the in the foyer, and uses his MMA skills to like try to subdue mm-hmm. him. And he yes. manages to use his brains because he keeps on trying to open the door and the brother kicks the door closed. Oh, yes. And he uses his brains to be like, I'm going to open it a third time. And when the brother goes to kick it, he stabs him in the kneecap with that mm-hmm. letter opener. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then basically curb stomps the brother to death. Yeah. At which point he's driving away in the brother's car and the maid crosses in front of it and he hits her. And instead of driving away, he remembers his mother, stops yeah. and puts the maid in his car. At which point the daughter exits the front of like, exits the house with a gun and says, Grandma. Grandma. <laughs> so you you realize, oh shit, grandma her Rose's grandma's brain is in that black woman's body. And you yeah. see the scar now that she has mm-hmm. like a, a, a yeah, scar. Yeah, the hair her. has come away and there's mm-hmm. a scar and uh the runner landscaper has taken off his hat yeah. and there's a scar there now. Yeah. Uh the grandma wakes up. They get in a car accident. She dies in the car accident. Mm-hmm. He he crashes the car, I believe. No, because she's fighting. She's. I, I, didn't, I know. I didn't think he did it on purpose, but I, the, I thought like, he did do it on purpose. I don't, I don't know. know. I, yeah. Well, anyway, they're they fighting crash. at the time. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely crash, and she dies in the accident. He does not. Um, but he's he's messed up. Um, Rose comes upon the scene, with the but, but there's a there's also an interaction with the lands the land. Yeah. Landscaper. The landscaper, Lands- <laughs> landscaper whatever it is, Grandpa, uh, where he flashes him. He must flash a light in his well, eyes. That's, that's, the that's very at the end. very end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's shooting him with the gun, and she's like, "Sick him, Grandpa!" And he runs very fast and tackles him, and he's like choking Chris. And Chris pulls out his cell phone, takes a picture of the mm-hmm. Grandpa, mm-hmm. and like Logan did earlier, awakens the person who was originally connected to that body. Yeah. And he's like, "Let me shoot him, Granddaughter!" Takes the gun, shoots her. And then shoots himself in the face. Yes. Uh, But she's still alive. Chris crawls over her body and strangles her to death just as a... What seems appears to be a police car pulls up. Yeah, yeah sirens and lights. And I'm immediately like, is this movie going to end this way? No. Yeah, yes. and you're like, oh shit, this scene looks so bad that he's this black guy killing this white girl, and of course it's going to... Oh, I thought for sure it was going to end yeah. in the police killing him, killing him right now. Right, right well, here. Some Night of the Living Dead shit. Also, I misstated it. No, he does not kill her. He strangles her, the police show up, and she's going, help me, help 
please. Yeah, thinking me. like the police are on, are definitely going to be on her side. But surprise, it's Rodney. <laughs> it's Rodney's TSA car. But it's yes. Rodney and it's TSA, and he's like, TSA solves your yes. problems. Chris so, gets in the car and they leave Rose behind. Yes, they escape, and that movie is so good. <laughs> That's the end of the movie. Uh, yeah. So much to talk about for Get Out. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to do a little plug here. I wrote on my blog about this. What's um, your blog? Tell me your blog. www.karenocappy.com. And I, after, immediately after watching the movie, I wrote down my thoughts because I was yeah. like, I have to write my thoughts on this. Um, but there's just so much in this movie that, like, I don't know, I, I, I feel weird to say, but I kind of related to, like, there's this anxiety sure. always about meeting your significant other's family, but, like, when your significant other's family is white, like, I'm a person of color, I'm a brown person, my last name is Hernandez. Um, I, you know, it's kind of, it's, it was anxious. I felt anxious. I was like, what are they going to think of me? Like, yeah. I, I was telling Jacob, uh, I, the first time I met, um, uh, Jacob's family and Deb is Jacob's mom. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm going to wear my glasses the whole time so that they think I'm smart. <laughs> and I'm, I didn't have, Did it work? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't have to do that. And like, it's been cool ever since, but it's like that first time of meeting my significant other's family and they're white i just was like how do i like build how do i make them not afraid of me <laughs> it's yeah. just this weird feeling um, well see here the first scene of that movie where the man is wandering around in the neighborhood and this is is i think the thing that you could the kind of scene that can be used to connect to people who want to understand mm-hmm. but don't and have never been exposed to it mm-hmm. because I don't have any it's it's a and what you just said too and the reason I'm thinking this mm-hmm. is because you wanted to wear your glasses right it wouldn't mm-hmm. even occur to me to try to wear gla- to I'm going to put on my glasses to impress my boyfriend's family would not even be a thing yeah. I would think about because of my skin color mm-hmm. and walking around in a neighborhood and being concern that a car drive drove past me it's not a thing that i would even think about mm-hmm. that's interesting even as a woman that doesn't wouldn't concern well, you if you're by yourself i guess that's... it would if it if it was weird you're right yeah you know there are yeah as but, myself i'd never but i would but i wouldn't but... be thinking it's because i'm white yeah right? That's right sure i would be thinking it's because i'm a woman which is a different, <laughs> different thing, thing. Yeah. yeah um but there's been a lot of things i've read you know I'm just going to say it. Since November 9th, I guess. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Did um, something happen in November? Something. I don't know. I don't really Some watch stuff politics, happened, so. Um, Which, you know, I've read a lot of things. And it's like, Good. well, these, it's these, it's the thing where it's like your daily life. Like mm-hmm. where you can't go outside or drive a car or those are the ones that are really, that really, I, that really make it real. That are mm-hmm. impactful. Right. Yeah. Well, there's some, they're all impactful. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah. Right, but it's hard Sorry. to connect to the big things when you don't have those tiny little moments of, I have to think about this because I'm not white. Think about this mm-hmm. all the time. Right. And that's my existence. I mean, like, I'm, I'm a woman of color attorney, and I'm always thought of as a defendant in the courtroom. Like, you know, in all my jobs, if I had, like, a white boss or, you know, just white people in my classrooms, like... You know, they're just like in the Sugar Hill movie where Morgan is saying like, oh, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. And let me tell you what mm-hmm. what's right. Like that happens to me in my whole life. That always happens. That's, that's always happened to me. So. Right. And it's super easy for me to say, well, that's wrong. And I wouldn't take it. But I'm not I don't I'm not in the <laughs> position. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, Karen and I live, we don't live in the suburbs, but we live outside downtown. So there's almost nowhere we're going to go that is not going to be predominantly white. There's not going to be a, we're both attorneys, so everybody who is our peer in our jobs are white, even if most of our clients are not Mm -hmm. white. Well, and we live in a predominantly white state. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, like, we are surrounded almost exclusively with white people. Yeah, Jacob and I went to our neighborhood bar, and just looking around, I was the only brown person inside. And there's, like, 20 people, No, there's, like, 20 people outside and, like, a bunch of people inside, and I'm the only... Ever since I moved to Seattle, I've always noticed when I'm the only brown person in any bookstore, cafe, whatever. I mean, whatever. I'm always the only brown person there. Um, And the only reason that that's a deal, like if it wasn't a deal, it wouldn't be a deal, right? You wouldn't be thinking that if that wasn't an issue in our society. Mm -hmm. If everybody didn't care, then you wouldn't care either. I mean, you would look around and say, eh. Yeah. Well, I, for me, it's just like, why am I the only brown person here? I guess yeah. it is Capitol Hill. And we all know that Seattle is like really compartmentalized and, and divided with their neighborhoods where like ever since, you know, historic zoning laws in yeah. Seattle has affected like the way that the neighborhoods are in the city. Um, there's like white neighborhoods and there's like non-white neighborhoods that are being gentrified right now and turning into white neighborhoods. That's um, true. Oh yeah, I'm part of that. I'm part of that for sure. 100%. <laughs> I mean, so, Michael lives in a black neighborhood. That is turning white the more mm-hmm. the more I live there. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's happening all around us in Seattle, but there's just like so much in this movie. I mean, I, I, I have to say like I'm not black and I don't know what it's like and I don't well I will never know what it's like to be a black person in America mm-hmm. but I know what it's like to be like a person with the last name Hernandez in America <laughs> yeah. and it's it's really hard I I I would say it's really hard sometimes. Yeah. Uh can we go back to the very first scene? Because yes. for me the what makes that scene as powerful as it is the scene where uh, the black man is wandering around the suburban neighborhood and the car pulls up and starts following him. And he's like, oh, I got to get out of here because mm-hmm. he's already uncomfortable in mm-hmm. suburbia. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to say it. No, yeah. Trayvon Martin. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. yep. It's not comfortable. Uh, I mean, I think that was legit what they were going for. Uh, and very, I don't know. It's dangerous, right? Like, yeah. It is dangerous to be black in white neighborhoods mm-hmm. and black neighborhoods but in white neighborhoods well and because historically and right now yeah and yeah. even yeah it's it's there's something sinister about he's scared because he's in suburbia but he's scared because he imagines everyone there views him as a criminal already mm-hmm. yeah well and it's also yeah. to go like to kind of tie that together i mean it's also both a reverse of a stereotypical scene you've seen in other movies, including Candyman, mm-hmm. where a white character is walking through a black neighborhood and is in danger. Mm-hmm. And also a common experience of like walking through a neighborhood where you don't feel safe. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was like, in some ways it's a good way to start that movie because it's like, Hey, here's a situation where as a white viewer, you may consider this neighborhood safe and here's a character who mm-hmm. doesn't feel that mm-hmm. it's safe there, and you get a good understanding of why that is, and you can connect to that experience. I think we should also talk. I mean, I think we should talk about the masterful filmmaking that went oh, into yeah. this yes. movie, because I mean, just that. So, yeah. 
it was um, which one? Keegan Mike Jordan, Jordan, Jordan Peele is Jordan the Peele, right? Okay. So what he did was he made it he made it so that white audience viewers he by setting up that scene he made it so that a white person could understand the context that the rest of the movie yeah. presents because he he makes it clear this man's not doing anything he's just walking down the street he's trying to find an address he doesn't feel comfortable and then the ter- the most terrible thing that he thought could happen. Could potentially happen, and in his mind, he already knew that it could. Mm-hmm. Then it happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not safe there. Right under attack. And the victim in this movie, throughout the whole movie, is a black man. Which is, they're never the victim of any movie. They're always the perpetrator of mm-hmm. violence on others. Mm-hmm. So he, I mean, he in you know, like five minutes, he set it up so that we could understand the context that we were going to be in for yeah. this movie. Then it bookends the movie. It starts with that scene. And it ends with the biggest scare in this movie, the police car rolling out. Yep. Because you... Oh, 100% seen, I thought it was going to be. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, he's dead. Right. There's nothing... And, you know, Karen and I talked about this after we saw it. Like, one of the things that Get Out does so well is it circumvents some issues that horror movies have where, like, well, why don't they just leave and call the police? Well, he can't call the police. Yeah. For reasons the, that are real. The like, police are not on his side. And in our current climate, like, they really aren't on the side of the African-American community. It's Yeah. So, his I mean, friend goes to the police. It doesn't help. In real life, the police are not there to support him. He interacts with the police earlier in the movie. They are suspicious of him for no reason. And at the end, you're pretty sure when the police roll up that he's dead. Like there's yeah. no way he's getting out of this. Yeah, I I do want to I do want to say that Rodney, although he's like a joke character, makes zero mistakes in yep. the movie, and yeah, his gets, hunches are always right, and gets nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, I should also say, having read a little bit about this movie in the original ending, the police show up and shoot Chris to death, like a Night of Living Night of the Living Dead style. Yes, he's the smart, savvy. Strong survivor, and yet he's just... Is it weird that I kind of wish they'd left that original ending in? So Jordan Peele said that the reason he changed it is audiences were very upset. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. You know, like, I mean, obvious, yeah. obvious reason. But also, during the... This movie took him a few years to make. Yeah. And a lot of the police shootings, like, happened while he was making this movie. And by the time he came to actually direct it, he'd said, well, audiences have earned a happy ending because like that's more unexpected like that's more unexpected if we can't have that in real life i wish we could have that in film (laughs) basically (laughs) like that this that the things have changed in terms of what that would mean it would you know he found it more meaningful to give audiences a it definitely would have made that a very dark movie yeah so why did why would you want chris to die at the end well not because i want him to die but because i feel like it's a a state, I mean, it's a statement, right? The one bad review that I've read of this movie, uh, and I should have looked it up before I came on this podcast because I read <laughs> it three weeks ago, mm-hmm. was a black movie reviewer for, I want to say The New Yorker or The New York Times, maybe mm-hmm. The Daily Mail, uh, basically being like, this is, uh, this is a very juvenile view of uh black white relations in the united states was his essential mm. uh mm. uh critique mm-hmm. and i feel like a much more brutal there is no escape ending 
might have been more it would have been more like a horror movie it would have been more like a horror movie it would have been more like what i believe in i mean as as, where the movie is going as a white man what i believe the black experience in the united states would be it's more true to real yeah yeah uh and would make a stronger statement Hmm. well i will say on that that taking this outside of the context of a movie in in real life even if rodney comes and picks him up and takes him home I mean, he's he's going to get arrested, right? Police are going to go to the well, house and what find I a bunch was, of dead bodies. Yeah, but I was thinking they would think that the landskeeper, that the groundskeeper oh, did it. Uh, I was yeah. the Chris one is thing. In trouble, no the groundskeeper did kill her. Yeah, that's but not, fair. But not the other people. But like, but yeah, I like that was part of the other thing. Is it is a happy ending if no one ever investigates Chris's right. relationship to these people. One thing I I thought was. I don't know, a cool, an interesting thing to think about for Get Out is just this idea of, um, like, when Chris tells Rose, like, it's a thing for black women to not want black men to date white girls. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's, he says to Rose, it's a thing. And I thought, well, if that's, you know, I don't know what it's like to be a black woman in America, but I've heard about that, you know, just in music and in movies, too. Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, I, I wrote about it in my blog, too. But if that's a thing, then it's also a thing for, like, like white women to feel uncomfortable when white men date outside of, like, d- date non-white people, too. And I I don't know. I, I kind of... I, like I, I think about mine and Jacob's relationship too, and think about like I don't know. Do am I? Do people see me as like not someone that Jacob should date because I'm not white? I don't know. And racists just, do. Yeah, racists. I mean that's all. You, I mean that's really all. That's what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. If you're not a racist, that doesn't bother you, and if you're a racist, then it bothers you. Yeah. Uh, and there's no logic to racism, and it, logic is super important to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My mom loves logic. She I loves- love logic. I like to apply it to things, and racism is not logical. It's just fear-based, like, bullshit, and it's really terrible, but I don't know. It's just one of the things that I, and I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to mean to say that it doesn't affect you, because it it does. I don't want to take away from that. It's yeah. just, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it bothers my mom, because yeah. she can't wrap it's her head around it. It's a nonsensical approach, and unfortunately, that's like a lot, that's what a lot of people I don't know. In this country, seem to be exib- like seem to be suffering from it's yep. just this yeah. fear and this just like they're not thinking about. I don't know, Can like I... just that that whole aspect of like dating within your race. That idea just it it spoke to me. Yeah. Can I? So I I wrote down some notes because we watched it so long ago, and I want to leave throw these out here and just see what you guys think as we go. Go. For um, it. Okay. So here's one. So the family, the um, Armitages, the Armitages, Armitages. I think the four of them, the the girlfriend, the dad, the mom and the brother each kind of represent a stereotype Mm -hmm. of white privileged people who Mm -hmm. who are racist. Uh, There's the girlfriend who is the like liberal, progressive post-racist society leader who's like supportive, but also completely dismisses everything Chris says all the way from start to finish. Uh, there's the dad who says he's progressive. And I voted like, for Obama. I, I'd have voted for him a third time, but is extremely condescending to Chris. Mm-hmm. There's the mom who just sees all of this going on and has no, like, just has no response. Just basically, her her son is being 
extremely racist to Chris and just goes, mm, She's like the mm. white liberal feminist she's who's implicit. She's me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. She's uncomfortable. <laughs> Um, and then there's the brother but who's she's, just she's also the one that hypnotizes like she has an active role in this yeah. weird cult she does it but I mean outside of the cult yeah just, as they as they appear to the world because as they appear to the world is the is the the us's they yeah. are the us's they are the white liberals yeah like there's I mean 100% I understand that Bradley Whitford is an evil murderer and slaver and all of the above and yeah. yet i'm like i'm pro- i'm pro- i'm pretty bradley whitford in this movie <laughs> is that yeah. the dad yeah oh yeah, yeah. Who, who is great yeah like, i mean i just like that actor no they were all good i mean oh, that was the actor- everything about this movie was good but yeah. even that character i relate to on on a very like, yeah that's the one that you yeah that i'm like oh i oh okay that that's a person i could be i yeah. mean before mm-hmm you try not to be, but that uh, yeah, is the, but that's the person I track. could very easily yeah. be. Yeah, one hundred percent. Sure. I think probably the one that we didn't relate to is the brother, sure, right? Because he was mean. openly racist mm-hmm. and wanted to fight things and at for the no, dinner table. Yeah, yeah. he was just physical. not a good guy. I, yep. Like the whole like subtext of you, because as an audience member, I knew essentially what the plot was going in, mm-hmm. but uh, the whole subtext of the brother being like. But hey, I know they're using it for whatever they're using it for. But I could totally use you as like a, like, a fighter, like uh, a like, like 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 the dog fights, but with people. Yeah. Well, I think he's uh, important. Very like. He's important to be in the movie because yeah, yeah, yeah. he is super racist, and the rest of the family's like, oh, that's too bad. Like <laughs> he is he is able to be nasty, and it highlights just all the other members of the family who are just kind of like. Slap on the wrist, like don't. Yeah, slap he's he's rude, uh, yeah. which sucks, right? Like that is the, yeah, that is the problem. Yeah. Um, I I wanted to go back to um, jo- Keegan. No, Keegan Mike uh, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, the... right? So I don't know what I don't. My brain kind of lost its train <laughs> of thought, but. Yeah. He's a really good filmmaker. Yeah, he's amazing. His, and for <laughs> and for his premiere film as well, his yeah. first film. So who did who did Keanu? So I think he directed it, but they co-wrote it or something. Did or they direct it? I thought they just who wrote it. Who did he it. co-write it with? Keegan oh, Michael Key. Yeah, so yeah, I love Keanu. Jacob showed me that movie a week ago. I think that's one of my favorite movies yeah. of the year that it came. I mean, I love that movie. <laughs> it's so good. Oh my god! <laughs> and this movie, on the heels of that movie, is like. Yeah. This guy needs to make all the movies, yeah. right? Uh, yes. Peter Atencio was the director of... Oh, okay. So, they uh, so it was him? written by the two of them and someone directed by someone him. else. Because, uh, so, yeah, this is his directorial debut. I'm actually very worried about him because he's getting a lot of offers that I don't think he should take. <laughs> is he going to direct some Star Wars movie or Marvel? He or something? got The Flash. Or they've used Offered The Flash okay. from what I've read. <laughs> and I don't want him to take no, it. do something better. It'll ruin you. It'll <laughs> ruin you. Keep he should make Peele. his own ideas. His, like, the way that he makes a movie, like, the subtlety and the nuance is... It's supposed to be subtle and it's supposed to be nuanced, but it's at, in your face at the same time. You're like, you know yeah. exactly what he's trying to say. Uh, we watched four movies. That was the only scary one. Yep. It was a yeah. horror movie and it was really scary. Night of the Living Dead, probably second scariest. Yeah. It was I would say. pretty old, but it was scary. Eh, I, I was Candyman was probably yeah. more scary just because it, it actually Stuff happened. hit the, you know, it could do a jump scare. Yeah, I could. <laughs> um... I will say, here's one of the other ones. Uh, oh, shoot. Sorry. I lost my train of thought. 
I was going to point out that in the cult, when they're preparing the auction, there is a Japanese man who yeah. talks to mm-hmm. him. I forget his name, which I thought was kind of interesting. He's basically the only non-black person of color. Oh, yeah, and he's movie. really Japanese. Mm-hmm. He's not an American. He's not Asian-American. He's got a heavy accent. Yes. Damn. And he asked him something, but I can't remember what it was. He was like, what was. do you think about the status of black people in society? Oh, or something yeah. like that. He says, he asks, uh, do you believe being black has given you more advantage or disadvantage? Oh, yes. Do you think that guy's brain got replaced or something? Do you think he was one of the victims of the coagula or he's no just he's, auction, there. he's at the auction because he has the heavy accent then that would indicate mm. that he is an asian American. i would imagine that he i mean I, I i know one person who's a black person who uh speaks japanese and has lived there for a very long time and from what i understand it is not a particularly great place to be a person of color mm. no they still have a lot of the those like I, I don't know what to say, like the tar baby stereotype of like the all black with like the big lipstick face. Mm. I mean, I have a played a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, that's, that is a video game trope that gets over to America a lot of times from Japanese. Well, I guess culture. maybe it might have been like a commentary on like the whole Asians as model minority yeah. type thing. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. So are, do you have more? I yeah, thought yeah. I did, but I can't remember what it is. So. Well, let's, is there some way that we can... Let's talk about these four movies as they relate to each other. So one of the ways that we did is that we've got one movie, the first movie from 1968, of all things, the only one where the main character, the black main character, was not really a stereotype, right? Mm -hmm. And then we've got these three other movies where every, all three movies are, the foundation of them is, I guess, slavery? Yeah, for the most part, yeah. I'd say so. I'm not sure. You know, I was going to say, I'm saying about that, just point but... out that it's oh, a yeah. black man and a white woman for all of these. That is the combination I... of main except for except for Sugar, uh, Hill? Sugar Hill. Is a black lady. A black right. lady and a black man. The black man dies and she gets the revenge. Yeah. 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 And the, I, the yeah. one thing I would say about Sugar Hill is it is the reverse of the woman in fridge thing that you see in yeah in comic right. books, which I thought was interesting. Are you guys familiar with women in the fridges? No, nope. that concept. No clue. I'm nodding like I am, but I'm. It's a uh, just. It's a uh, so one time Green Lantern's girlfriend got murdered and put in a fridge, and it allowed him to like be a better Green Lantern. I have and, to fight my villains because my girlfriend's been murdered by villains. And it's this this idea in in feminist theory that you see often in media, uh, the white male character being spurned into action by the death of a female character. There's a website that lists like here are all I think it was comics specifically like here are all the times when a superhero's girlfriend is murdered to give him an incentive murdered or maimed or or raped any of some sort of violent crime happened upon them in order in order as a story mechanic to give them agency to do something. So the yes. vehicle for their greatness is this shitty thing that happened to their oh, yeah. woman. Yes. Yeah. Shade! And, so the, not great. and the, the generals are flipped in Sugar Hill. I see. Yeah. And there is a whole, I mean, there is a collection of those movies in black exploitation of mm-hmm. women exacting revenge on mostly white men yeah. due, because of some, you know, their boyfriend was murdered or they overdosed on drugs that were forced on them or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Black that's the whole... That's, that's is that what happens in Black Dynamite? His, his brother is killed by uh, a black gang, but it's actually a President Nixon. It's a bunch <laughs> of white guys and he goes on his revenge. Right. 
killing his way up the chain. But the one, but the thing about the this that the fact that they made a whole group of movies with women. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like this extraordinary thing, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, go ahead. One of the things that I read about Get Out was that it could have been more. It could have like uplifted black women more mm-hmm. instead like you know there was just sort of a maybe a nod to it when chris says it's a thing for black women to be jealous of when when black guys date outside of the race like but you know the movie could have been more uplifting for black women or should have been i'm not sure it i mean sure but except that that movie did so much i mean how how much can a movie do yeah. It well, did a lot of things that have never been done before, mm-hmm. so... And the movie was about Chris, a black man, who's dating Rose, a white woman, so... I don't know. So I was going to say, Michael and I are on another podcast, Third Act Saviors, and one of the things we do is for every episode we go through three tests. So it's the Bechdel test, the racial Bechdel test, and the... I always forget it, but it's Glad's test. Um, but it's basically... There, there are these tests... Not specific to individual movies, but to show like, hey, are there two women? Do they have a meaningful? I'm just gonna put this out there. There are no gay people in any of these movies. That's true. So that's Uh, is that yeah. Rose dated the black. Oh, that's right. She's get out has a lesbian in a photograph. Well, I mean, (laughs) I mean, while while not a character presented, we're at least given the idea of like a a black lesbian uh, in the movie, maybe. Mm-hmm. The, um. <laughs> one of the victims and a victim who appears at least in flashes is a lesbian woman. So the the thing I wanted to point out is because of this, I've been looking at the Bechdel test and the racial Bechdel test is basically that, but are there two people of color? Do they talk to each other? Not about a white person. If you look at places where they movies are like consolidated, where they'll, they'll do a list of okay, pass or fails. There is basically no, movie that passes the racial Bechdel test that doesn't fail the Bechdel test and vice versa because almost exclusively a movie about black that stars black people is about black people and they rarely have the time and the the time or the the space to also take on the idea of women which is really depressing but that's something I've noticed is like Moonlight does not pass the Bechdel test uh Sugar Hill might Sugar Hill doesn't have a second black woman, does it? Mama Matress. Mama Matress. It does pass the racial Bechdel test. It probably passes the Bechdel test, maybe. She's. They have. They have a fight. Are they talking about women? Are they talking about a man? Well, yes. She is. Yeah, Mama Matress and um, Sugar Hill are talking about the revenge that she wants to seek on. For her boyfriend, Mm -hmm. on men. Her the girl she fights is mad because of her boyfriend. Baron Samdi is who she's talking about with Mama Matress. There's really nothing in that movie that's not related to a man. So maybe, but it's unlikely because they don't give them any, them any other character traits except their relationship to men, either seen or unseen. At the same time, in Sugar Hill, Sugar Hill is a pretty empowered woman. Oh, yeah. And she's smart. Oh, yeah. None of these tests are to be like, this movie is inherently... Yeah. Any individual movie is inherently racist and or... Sexist. I mean, because some of the ones that do pass the Bechdel test are horribly sexist. Yes. Uh, it's the idea that we it's it's a test to look at films as a whole to find trends. Yeah, and this I'm not bringing this up as a criticism of of these movies. Uh, just that when you think about it, this highlights the fact that there's very few movies that are about black people that are not 
just like about black people or right. about women that are not about because there's just not space in movies lately where like you know Captain America doesn't star a woman who is also a superhero if it did it would be about her being a woman because there just aren't that many movies if you're gonna have your shot to make a movie if you're a black man and you have your shot to make a movie you're probably gonna make a movie about stuff that's important to you right you don't get to make 20 movies you only get to make one mm-hmm. right so you can't just make a movie basically right that's that's one of only the, a white person thing one of the movies i saw recently was hidden figures and there's a mm-hmm. scene where they're just you know they're having a party or something mm-hmm. and i'm like what a relief it must be for these actors to just be in a scene where you're just being people just in acting. a room right yeah you're not representing some kind of stereotype and you're not making it, it the movie i guess there's a message there because this is a forgotten piece of history that people don't want to know about because yeah. they don't want to know black people actually contribute to our history right. but aside from that there are scenes in the movie where there's just black people having lives doing stuff eating at a picnic right mm-hmm. yeah <sighs> why can't that just be a thing that's a good question and why I- do i have to even think that and I'm not sure, like, there's, there's on the one hand, like, you want that, you, like, I want to see, you know, people of color in movies, and they're not just, like, you know, being a black, like, overtly yeah. black person in a movie, or overtly, like, nerdy Asian or whatever. But at the same time, you also want to, like, celebrate the fact that, and, and not hide the fact that, like, black culture is is black culture and Asian culture is Asian culture. Right. But that, but the movie, but hidden figures kind of does that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it, there, that is, it is black culture. It has the opportunity to highlight black culture while simultaneously letting them be people. Right. Yeah. It's not a stereotype. They're just human beings doing their thing in their place with their family. I brought this up a bunch of episodes ago, but one of the other movies that, that I like is the Fast and the Furious movies. Love it. And that movie, aside from the fact that I don't think there are any gay or queer characters. Not that I know of. There, it passes the racial Bechdel test and yep. the Bechdel test it sure generally does. because there is a diverse cast, but it's not about they're white men a, or they're getting less and it's getting more and more diverse as it goes on too. People they add later on. Yeah. throughout the franchise yeah. i love that movie so I much and it's also set in los angeles i'm mm-hmm. like holler that's really cool but like that that is an example of a movie that they are black characters but their blackness or their being women is not always this the focus yeah. of what's going on so it's like part of their identity but it's not all of their identity just like part yeah. of my identity is they're also car driving superheroes yeah <laughs> and they're, they're you know they each have their own different personalities yeah so I thought there's the there's like one of the few movies I could think of. Moana also probably passes both tests. It's oh. in a rarity because although it is about their culture, you know, she also she has her own life that's unrelated to this. Mm-hmm. They're all people of color. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a long time since we started this podcast. Many <laughs> two hours oh, and yeah. almost three hours ago. Well, you made a cocktail, yeah. so we should probably. Oh, should it. we talk about the cocktail? We yes. always do. That's that's how we wrap we up. Talk about the cocktail. Talk about the cocktail. Delicious cocktail. That's fantastic. Uh, the name of this cocktail is the Candy Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> I love these little spears. So, a uh, couple. No, I guess it was the last episode or maybe the episode before that. I was uh, working on a condiment that a condiment, a garnish mm-hmm. that involved candy. And I used the candy to make a blue iris on a 
on sort of a prop piece made out of oh, yeah. uh, white For chocolate. May. Yeah, I think it was the previous episode. So in the while I was doing that, I accidentally burned the candy. Mm-hmm. I made burnt sugar, which was very delicious mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so in the con uh, while i was trying to develop this drink for this show the first thing i thought about was pixie sticks and i went down this whole pixie sticks simple syrup road mm-hmm. and then i thought why don't i make burnt sugar because that's candy mm-hmm. so i made a salted burnt sugar syrup mm-hmm. and then i figured out that i could dip maraschino cherries into the candy while it, before it was uh, liquid uh, before it hardened, yeah, and ended up making. And I said, well, you know, what goes with that? Well, a Manhattan has cherries and it has uh, this sweet syrup in it, and ended up making a Manhattan with burnt sugar syrup. It was really good, yeah. Deb, it was fantastic. Deb was when <laughs> she was making the cocktail, she was like, Karen, smell this, and it was the burnt sugar syrup, and it, it immediately took me back to making burnt sugar with my siblings when we were kids, and we were like that's what we love to make and eat which is we i was telling jacob this we would burn sugar over our gas stove in spoons like super unsafe (laughs) unsupervised (laughs) heroin style yeah we would like pour (laughs) i guess but we would pour the you know i know nothing about that Um, (laughs) we would pour the the melted burned sugar onto wax paper and then like wait and then peeling it off was just so satisfying and Sounds very satisfying. Yeah, so we just <laughs> ate the burnt sugar, and when Deb asked me to smell that syrup, I was like, whoa, like, I'm just <laughs> taken back in time. Did I mention I added salt to it? No. So I added some salt to it oh, as well. Okay. So the candy has, like it's, caramel. yeah, it's a burnt sugar salt thing. It added to it. Jacob's yes. been licking his toothpick the whole time, well, I want to ask about this toothpick, because it's got, like, a little goose or a camel it, in it. I think it's, it's a, a camel. camel. It looks like the scepter in Sugar I, Hill a little bit. I yeah. have not noticed there was a camel <laughs> in here. I was looking, I was like, is that an apple? What is this weird blobby thing? I've been using bamboo skewers for a lot of our drinks, but yeah. they they were too short for this particular condiment or garnish, mm. um, and I ran out of them, so I just ordered ten of these. And these they, are cool. They're I, awesome. Yeah. yeah. I want to put these in my hair. Very <laughs> nice. Um, do you guys want to do some plugs? Well, before we no, talk wait. About the the other thing that we talk about... Oh, you want to do that first? Wait, no. what other right. thing we talk about? The next episode. Let's talk, oh, about, the let's talk episode. about the next episode. So anybody so, who doesn't want to hear us can just cut off. We had a couple of choices. I, I was going to do vampires, and I... Because of where we're going for next season, which is after this next episode, mm-hmm. I kind of want to get started on that, right? Yeah. So... Um, our next, our last episode for this season is going to be, not that, uh, I'm trying to find my list here. It's going to mm. be women directors of horror movies. Yay. And, and I need to tell you what the movies are going to be, which we talked about a little bit ago. So we, we watched The Duke, which was mm-hmm. directed by a woman. So we can talk about that uh, as needed. Sure. Uh, there was a movie from 1953 called The Hitchhiker. Which is about two men who pick up a hitchhiker, who I think is a serial killer. I believe that's mm. the context of the movie. Okay. Anyway, it's directed by an actress from that time period called Ida Lupino. And it's okay. a pretty well-known movie. Uh, then we're going to watch The Velvet Vampire, which was directed by Stephanie Rotham. And it is uh, cool. from 1971. Yeah, that sounds cool. And Boxing Helena. Which I've seen, but I probably saw it when it came out. So that's a 1990s movie. Does she know Waltzing Matilda? 
Boxing Helena? Yes. <laughs> that was my effort at a joke. It, it was a good one. Thank you, Mike. A plus. <laughs> Grand Slam. And then uh, for Kurt, as close as we're going to get to the twenty, the 2010s is going to be Jennifer's Body, which I also have seen, and I'm going to watch it again. I'm sad we're not watching Ravenous, having looked at that I list. I know, Ravenous it's, is so gross. The movie that made Karen barf. I, I puked <laughs> from getting which, sick. Which part made you barf? The ending. Yeah, I don't know. The whole movie was like leading up to it, and then at the very Can end, I, I was like, yo, I need to puke Probably. because this is really disgusting. But the music is so great, and it is a the really good movie. The music is fantastic. It's one it's, of my favorite movies. I know. The soundtrack of that is phenomenal. I, yeah. So there's some things we didn't do in this season. Yeah. Our The podcast is not really about horror movies. So that's one of the things that's a problem because we miss some very big sure. parts of the horror movie thing. We didn't do a Freddy Krueger. We didn't do Nightmare on Elm, Elm Street. We didn't do, we didn't watch one vampire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really what the podcast is about. It's really about watching things from previous decades and talking about What's changed? What's changed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so next season, and this was always the plan, the next season will be on a different topic. Yeah. And we will talk about that at the end of our next episode. <laughs> That's right. Just you wait. <laughs> We're, I'm super excited for it. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. Um, well, Mom, do you have anything to plug? No. I hear Dad talking about dinner. Uh, just yes. the just the um, WordPress, which well, is yeah. relatively new. It's got all... I write a blog for every episode for the drinks that I invent. We'll continue that into the second season. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's going to be more difficult in the second season. <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> Horror movies were a little easier, I think, than this next thing is going to be. Yeah, that's for sure. Karen? Um. Well, I guess I would have a plug for get involved in your community and find your local... Um, legislative district i don't know if you're a democrat find your democrat like you should just get involved in your community even if you're a republican no whatever (laughs) no republicans get out of here i'm trying to be like neutral to our audience but really i'm saying like hey you guys there's a problem going on in our country and you really should like do your best to get involved and do every do whatever you can given your energy like just do it uh, I, I'll plug my blog for the third time. Yeah. I'm trying to be more public about it. I don't know why. Like, I've had it for... I've been blogging for years, for like 10 years. Um, I had my old blog, which I stopped writing in, um, and I started this new blog last year. And I'm going to... I'm trying to be more public about, like, expressing my thoughts. I don't know. So, www.karenocapi.com. How do you spell Okapi? Okay, API. That's my favorite animal. Favorite animal since elementary school because they're beautiful and amazing. So go on there, but don't cyberbully care. Yeah, don't cyberbully me because that's what made me leave Tumblr. I got cyberbullied. Also, don't cyberbully anyone. Yeah, you especially should. not Karen. Yeah, plug cyberbully for, Mike. You plug can no, cyber you can cyberbully me because I will just bully you back. <laughs> cyberbully my mom. I had no clue how to cyberbully teens back on Tumblr. I was like, I'm just gonna like make a new blog on a different. Uh, it's a it's WordPress. So I was like, I'm gonna make a different <laughs> blog on a different platform, like where teens don't really go. Karen, I know the answer to this, but. Why were people cyberbullying you? <sighs> I'll tell. I don't know if I should go into the details on this. Just give us this a five-second synopsis. Because of because of a fish. The goldfish a goldfish. community was cyberbullying. The goldfish Karen. community really like 
Like they found you. Yeah, they really disliked me for having a goldfish in a goldfish bowl. That's right. <laughs> and they <laughs> Michael's making your face. Yeah, I'll that's tell the you what I'll, I'll tell you at dinner. It's awesome. just really silly, but yeah, look at my blog. Check it out. I've I've written in it for over a year now, and nice. Yeah, it's cool. I think it's cool. It's very cool. Thanks. Anything gets you out there. Yeah, Michael. Uh, I am on two podcasts, one with your host, Jacob, uh, mm-hmm. called Third Act Saviors. Check us out every other Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm also on a superhero uh, movies and television review podcast called Psychics Pod. Please check us out anytime. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any live things happening in the near future. Plus, who knows when this episode will come out. But uh, <laughs> I am frequently on stage and uh check yeah. check check me out check it check in check the seattle area in the yeah. seattle area yes <laughs> he was recently on tour. stage i was, saw him he's great yeah. he was in a play i was very recently in a play called king beard three nights at the rendezvous here in barbasol that is exactly that's how it goes <laughs> i didn't so expect good. you would do a voice for the whole show but it was fantastic i did a voice the whole show it was really admirable uh and yeah uh eventually i will get a twitter okay um, I don't have much to plug that hasn't already been plugged. Oh, I'm on Third X Saviors. I know what you should plug. What should I plug? Our ad in the Stranger for our law firm. So <laughs> you're gonna plug your ad? I like that. Well, <laughs> well whatever. Helios Check Law Group is the law firm that Karen and I and three other attorneys work at. Our good friends. By the time you hear this, we will probably not have an ad in the Stranger, but it's possible we still will. It's hard to tell. Um, but check us out. We are at www.helioslaw.net. We do all types of law in Western Washington. By the time you hear this, we will have a new office in Bellingham to go with our Seattle office and our office in West Seattle. Yeah. So look us up if you have any legal problems or if you just would like some legal advice. Yep. And that's all we got. Oh, thank you very much for having me, by the way. Yay! Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike, for being on our podcast. Guest number two. He's taking a photo of his cap. I made a space whale out of my out of my cap. That's pretty cool. What's a space whale? It's like that. <laughs> oh. It's a whale from space. So that's been Decades Podcast, our yes. special episode about this movies is, uh, with people of color, but specifically African Americans. Uh, episode 10, and we've got one more coming, and then we're moving on to the next subject. Yeah, and you guys will find out what that is when the time Next goes. time. I'm very excited. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Guys. It was great having you. Yes. The end. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Woohoo!